Packer After Dark on 1010XL. of a combo effort there by our good friend Dylan, who's about a 12 handicap. <laughs> That's on the front side. You can add another 12 on the uh, back. Good to have you with us today after, my goodness, complete misery in town. The good news is, hey, you could be living in London. You know, you could be living in Green Bay or Buffalo or Cincinnati or Cleveland or anything along those lines. You don't. You live right here. In Duval. My name's Rick Ballou, typically with you 6 to 8. Hacker Nation is here as well. He comes on immediately after me weeknights. But today, we are in the building. Business hours from right now up until 3 o'clock. And brother, we have got a ton to go over. Yeah, Rick, hope you had a Merry Christmas and a Happy Holidays. Glad to be with you for the uh, rest of the week here, closing out the year on 1010XL and Good gracious, Sunday in Tampa, Florida left an awful lot to be desired. And the one thing that I came away, and I did the fifth quarter uh, immediately following the game, 10 years of doing the fifth quarter, I've never turned a Jaguar game off. Never. Not once. Gus Bradley era, um, obviously the Urban Meyer year, never turned a game off. When it was 27 nothing, mm-hmm. I said, well, if the Jaguars don't want to play, then why do I need to watch this? Yeah. Because it was an embarrassing performance. Yeah, you know, this is one of those deals where the entire offseason we make predictions. I, I, you know, we social media wise, we made our picks. I had them 10 and 7. Uh, I know around here there was some 16 and 1s and 15s and, and 2s and whatever it was. And I, I got really ripped. I got destroyed by listeners. What's wrong with you? This and that, 10 and 7. Well, I think a lot of people would take 10 and 7 right now. <laughs> yeah. That ended up being the best that they can get. And I hate playing the role of I. I told you so, I told you so. But I'm trying to figure out what happened. Regardless of when I picked these games, I always had them over Tampa. And then you had the problem, the concussion protocol, and I was like, you know what? I think I'm going to pick Tampa again. They've won three straight. Jacksonville's lost three straight. And then you started to hear Thursday going into Friday that, you know what? It looks like Trevor Lawrence is going to be able to play. And we made our picks Friday. And I was under the impression it officially came out Saturday that he had cleared the concussion protocol, but I said, that's it. I'm going back to Jacksonville here. They've only lost once on the road. I think they're going to be able to get it done. They're a better football team. You could tell midway through the first quarter, they didn't want to be there. They want to be home with their families on Christmas Eve. And all of a sudden, I don't have enough fingers to point. It's the coaching. It's the offense. It's the defense. How about all of this miscommunication? I've been doing this for since the Jaguars came in in 1995. I, I can think of pathetically coached Urban Meyer team. And at times on the field, there have been more miscommunication in the last month and some change with this current team than even what happened with that Herb, Urban Meyer team. Now, I know a lot of problems off the field as far as miscommunication with Urban Meyer. But you got the two with Parker Washington running the wrong route and not getting out of bounds. Uh, young DBs getting totally screwed up in miscommunication against Cincinnati. Is Calvin Ridley running the wrong right routes? Last week, Doug Peterson said we need more continuity and chemistry in our offensive line, uh, particularly on the left side. And, 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 Hack, how do you explain fourth and eight? Fourth and eight, and you get a delay of game? 
that's something that happens in week one for a Power 5 school against a directional school. Now, of course, I wasn't doing this because I was on the air Sunday evening, but I told the guys I was watching the game with, uh, have a shot every time they talk about self-inflicted wounds, right? You would have had a heck of a time Sunday night because that that, that is the narrative about the Jaguars. Mm-hmm. Self-inflicted wounds, right? They're not beating themselves. I mean, Jake Browning didn't throw for 350 yards. No. The Jaguars beat themselves on Monday night. Mm-hmm. Cleveland didn't throw for 300 yards with Joe Flacco, didn't force four turnovers because, of course, the Jaguars – are beating themselves. Baltimore didn't rush for <laughs> 250 yards on the ground right. because the Jaguars are beating themselves. And, of course, Sunday, none of that really happened because the Jaguars had four turnovers. They're beating themselves. I'm so tired of that narrative. There's no question to me anymore if the Jaguars are good. They're not good. Good teams do not lose four games in a row. We can put that to bed. Now, it can still be a good season because regardless of how it happens, if you win your division – you get a home playoff game, it's hard to complain about that. So it's still right in front of you, amazingly, which is an indictment for the rest of the AFC South. But the Jaguars are not a good football team. The self-inflicted wounds, we're doing it to ourselves. Look, if that makes you sleep better at night, that's fine. The bottom line is Baker Mayfield was far and ahead better than Trevor Lawrence on Sunday. And you would have never in your life said that coming into the year That Tampa Bay team, it mattered to them. It was a big game for them, and they went out and showed it. Jacksonville did not, and it was very, very disheartening. And like you said, not the offense, not the defense, not the special teams. It was everybody. Mm -hmm. It was coaching. It was you name it. It was a failure at every level on Sunday for the Jaguars. Yeah, we're going to take a look at this over the next three hours. We're going to be uh, interactive, as always, with you on our text line, which is 641-1010, brought to you by – Lifetime enclosures. Uh, a little bit later on, Hacker and I, I believe we're going to open up these phone lines. That, that'll be in a little bit, and uh, I recommend it. Okay, it's better than any drug. It's better than any street drug. It's better than anything that is prescribed to you from any type of doctor that, that is voicing your opinion. Let out your complaint. Trust me, you'll feel better after the fact. Now, I still think they win the division. I still think they host a playoff game. I, I think that they... I'm not going to say slaughter uh, Carolina, but, I mean, they're 2-5 and five at home. There's got to be some sense of leadership in that building. Uh, someone has got to do something to flip the switch. It's Carolina. It's a five foot five rookie quarterback, okay? They're bad at home. They're 2-5. And, and don't give me that London crap, okay? It takes nine days to get to London. That's not a home game. I'm talking about right here in Jacksonville. They're they're two and five. So I still believe that they could go as far as they went a year ago, believe it or not, because they're going to get a home game, could very easily win that home game. But I I, I want to, and I know you do as well, I'm, I'm really concerned about where this franchise is, whether they make it into the divisional round and lose as they did a year ago, or if they do not make it to the playoffs, which I think some of our listeners right now would believe, again, I'm not going to go there, we are in desperate need of change now with this football team. I never thought I would mention Doug Peterson and change, and I'm, and I'm not there yet. I still think he's the right man for the job, but his message is not getting through, and, and, and that is a huge concern. I want to put much more of it on Trent Bulky. His draft classes have been a disaster. Tank Bigsby didn't even see the field yesterday. That's the third down pick. 
Last year's th- uh, third-round pick. Last year's third-round pick, Chad Muma, didn't see the field yesterday. Second-round pick, Brenton Strange. 11 snaps, not a factor. Last year's third-round pick, Luke Fortner, is getting blown away week after week after week after week after week. He is a total liability as a center. It's time to look at this draft class in the last couple of classes, and someone has to speak on this. It's somewhere in between arrogance and ignorance as to what we're seeing right now, the way that this team has been assembled. It's fair to evaluate a draft class three years in, but I hear you for the rookie year, and you and I talked about this in the pre-show, it might be the the worst rookie draft class year one the Jaguars have had in a long time, and that's saying something. Like you said, you're getting nothing from Strange. You're getting nothing from Bigsby. Yasir Abdul has been a healthy scratch every week. Uh, Ventrell Miller's hurt, so we don't know what what that could have been. Um, Tyler Lacey's a guy. Braswell's been hurt. I mean, it has been awful. The rookie class has been absolutely putrid to this point. Uh, the one thing I'll say about Carolina coming in here, I think you could argue, going back to this weekend, Rick, that Jacksonville looked like the worst team in football. Mm-hmm. You know, if you did not know any better – and you just blanked out the teams and say one of these yeah. teams is eight and seven, the other one's two and thirteen. You might have thought Carolina was eight and seven. Bryce Young threw for three hundred yards. He did. They put thirty points on Green Bay. They got a lot of confidence coming in here. DJ Chark went off. Thielen's doing his thing. So Jacksonville should win the game on Sunday. But based on what I saw in Tampa, I'm having trepidation picking them to be a two and thirteen Panther team. Because, again, there was not a worse performance in the entire National Football League over the Thursday, Saturday, Sunday, Monday slate than what the hometown Jaguars showed in Tampa. Yeah, and, and you know, we see upsets each and every week. It's, it's crazy the way that this league is. I mean, for years, I think it's 18 out of the last 19, a team that finished last in their division turned around and, and won it a year later, and that certainly applied to Jacksonville if you look at the combination of the seasons 2021 and in 2022, the good news for Jacksonville and the rest of the league is this. There aren't dominant football teams. I mean, the whole world picked San Francisco last night. Yeah. Look at them. Look how loaded they are. Brock Purdy had all those turnovers last night, but with uh, the wide receivers and the tight end, the running attack or the rushing attack that they have. Uh, earlier in the day, Kansas City looks old. You know, outside of Kelsey, they don't have a wide receiver. The, the rookie Rice is pretty good, but they, they look old. And, you know... Uh, I just, is it Dallas? We see what they do in Miami. All of a sudden it's, wow, Miami, and we'll find out more about them as all of a sudden they uh, go to take on Baltimore this weekend. But it's it's not a classic year in the NFL where you can just point and say, all right, Kansas City and San Francisco, there's your Super Bowl matchup the way that we do year after year after year. I, I think there's going to be a lot of funk involved this year, and it's it's really hard to try to decipher through that. So that's good news. Uh, for Jacksonville, maybe not this year, but in their future. And again, that's unfortunately part of what we're going to do today. Um, you know, I'll kind of tease this before we head to the break. I, I don't believe Jacksonville is ever going to take that next step until they fix that offensive line. That has been their biggest problem. It remains their biggest problem. They're 26th in the NFL in rushing. You can't be a playoff team. If you're 26th in the NFL when it comes to rushing the football, they are terrible there. Two years ago, I wouldn't have drafted Walker. I would have gone Evan Neal or Icky. You know, there are people out there listening right now that are absolutely convinced 
that Anton Harrison wouldn't have been the pick if Cam didn't get popped for four games. That is absolutely the premier um, position group that has to be addressed this year several times over that is fixing this offensive line. If the sky falls and if the Jaguars miss the playoffs, go from 8-3 and three to missing the playoffs, somebody is going to pay for that. I don't believe it'll be Doug Peterson, but I believe it will be one of the coordinators, potentially the GM. I would doubt the GM because the owner loves him. But you cannot go from 8-3 and three and being the number one seed in the AFC playoffs for three hours to now hoping to beat Carolina 22 days later just to sneak in. Yeah, yeah. It's been 22 days. Yeah. Now, on the flip side, you see how quickly things can change in the negative. If you want to put a positive spin on this, Cam Robinson's eligible to come on the 21-day wait list uh, now off of IR. Right. We'll see about Zay Jones. I mean, as banged up as the Jaguars have been, they could be as healthy as they've been in quite some time here over the next week or two leading into the playoffs. And the one thing to consider, just get in. If you're the four seed, that likely means Cleveland in round one. I wouldn't pick Jacksonville to beat Cleveland, but stay with me here. It appears Buffalo's going to be the six and Kansas City's the three. That's going to be a wild card game. Oh, my God. Buffalo yeah. at Kansas City, which takes yeah. one of them out. Let's say Buffalo, for argument's sake, goes in Arrowhead and knocks out Mahomes. That means they're the lowest seed. Buffalo would then go to Baltimore, right? And if Jacksonville were to beat Cleveland, Jacksonville goes to Miami. Yeah. Who knows? Yeah. I, I'm just saying, things can change quickly. But the Jaguars got to figure out what the heck they're doing because that was an embarrassment on Sunday. Yeah, and listen, that that's exactly my point. Is is down as things are right now, losing four straight. I'm picking them against Carolina. I'm picking them to win the AFC South. And once you get in, you know, all you got to do is 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 find a way. And and this team has proven that they have the ability to come from behind. But something's going on right now. They they are absolutely unlike anything I've seen since really bad teams around here, teams that had, you know, were drafting in the top five or number one overall. So uh, I think the, the the best thing that you can state is that there isn't dominance right now in this league. All right, we got a lot to do here over the next three hours. Opening comments uh, today brought to you by the good folks over at Shmunez Vision. I've known Dr. Neil Shmunez uh, forever, okay? You're talking about a man who's got 37 years worth of experience. Now, they're a family organization. I really want to stress that. They're all about family, whether it's your grandparents, your kids. Uh, I think we often neglect our eyes, right? If anything happens from the neck down and, and you feel a twitch or a pain, you immediately run to your doctor. When it comes to your eyes, uh, for one reason or another, we tend to let it go. Now, this is much more of a practice outside of just a normal eye examination. For instance, eight and a half years ago, I went in for the normal procedure, right? Update me. What are my contacts doing? Do I need a new prescription? Dr. Shimunas is like, but bro, you got a major issue. We got to remove something from your right eye now. So they are a full um, personal high quality medical and surgical uh, eye care uh, company as well. Remove the cancerous, whatever it was from our right eye. There's never been any setbacks. The older you get, whether it's cataract that you're concerned about, maybe an issue with your cornea, blurry vision, etc. There's so much to be concerned about. You cannot allow this to go by. Here's my advice. Check them out online. Go to schmunezvision.com. Schmunezvision.com. See everything there. The great folks over out at the beach. Schmunez Vision Care. 
you can see. All right, he is Hacker Nation. My name is Rick Ballou. Best way to get us is on the text line, 641-1010. That is brought to you by Lifetime Enclosures. Hacker and Ballou in for primetime. Actually, the folks in primetime are in for the Frangie Show, 3 to 6 this afternoon, 10 what? 10 XL. 92.5 FM. We're the hardworking folks, Rick, all right? We don't take time off at the end of the year. Hey, we're making all these changes. Why don't the Jaguars make some changes? That's exactly well, they changes need Changes can be a good thing. They can be. They can be. They need to do something. Again, Baker Mayfield went through this defense like a hot knife through butter. And to me, that's the thing, all right? If you lose 37-27, all right, well, the offense looked pretty good. Or if you lose a hard-fought 12-10 game, well, the defense played well. No, nobody no. played well. And all of a sudden, tackles. McManus can't hit a kick to save his life. I mean, it is a complete failure. Special teams, offense, defense across the board. And what I didn't like more than anything, again, I'm not a body language expert. I just watch the press conferences. But Doug Peterson's press conference in Tampa and Trevor Lawrence's mm-hmm. in Tampa, those look like two guys that might be out of answers. Right. I mean, Doug Peterson, that was that was a rough press conference. Well, he and he's been off as of late. I mean, after the Sunday night game, it took him 47 minutes to get to the podium, yeah. which is absolutely positively not acceptable. It has no effect on me. All I do is tweet. There are colleagues of ours who have deadlines, and that's poor. That That's bad business. If that was in Philadelphia, he'd be getting absolutely destroyed. 47 minutes? Mm-hmm. Okay. I mean, I know that building pretty good. You walk from the field, the locker room's right there, and right across the way is the where you hold your press conference. It's not like you're going from there all the way out to the brand-new Miller Electric Center. Okay, 40 set. Now, I understand that Trevor went through a That's uh, the benefit protocol. of the doubt was the Trevor okay? news, yeah. I, I also, but, I mean, that's, that's, that's not acceptable. And, and so things are broken, and, and that's just a – a small little detail. When when you start doing things like that, it, it gets me to the point where, well, what's what's really going on right now? I, I thought all the way back to that loss against Houston that he was ready to throw some people under the bus. Remember he opened his mouth and, ne- and nothing came out? Do you remember that? He it, it was like a seven to eight second delay. He literally opened his mouth. I thought, and I, I hate to say it this way, I was sitting next to Demetrius Harvey who asked the question from the Florida Times Union. I thought he was having a health issue because he just stood there almost in like a brief coma. And I thought that he was going to unload. I didn't know if he was going to go to Parcells. Well, if you know you want me to be the cook, let me shop for the groceries. But he, I think, collected himself then came out and said whatever it was that he needed to say. And then, of course, he went into the rendition where we got to get out of here. I mean, the media is so tough in Jacksonville. The fans are so tough here in Jacksonville. We need to go to London and try to win some games. So I think he's shocked by what's happened here. And he's a consummate players coach. And I like Doug Peterson. I, I'm not asking for his job. I think he's a good coach. But he's I, I think he's more shocked by what's gone on here in the last month than anything else. And you mentioned Trent Baalke in the first segment. Now, look, I defended Trent Baalke a lot when the clown things were happening a couple of years ago. I thought that was nonsense. I've wanted Trent Baalke gone, but I wasn't going to dress up as a clown to do it. Um, so so I thought a lot of that was maybe unfair, and I think Baalke used that as motivation. And to Baalke's credit, I mean, he did bring in the likes of Christian Kirk and yeah, Evan Ingram. Mm-hmm. I mean, he's hit some home runs. I mean, some absolute flipping home runs in free agency. 
Uh, this draft was terrible uh, so far. It's terrible. Anton Harrison's good, but everybody else is not doing anything out there. And then you look at what they did not do. We were sitting here screaming. I know I was on Hacker After Dark. I imagine you were on End of the Night. Every show on this radio station from about April on, they don't have any pass rushers other than Josh Allen. Yeah. Every day it was the same thing. Mm-hmm. And we would go to OTAs and mini camp and training camp, and we would hear Doug Peterson talk because Balky doesn't talk very often. And Peterson would be asked about it, and Peterson would say, well, we believe our young guys will step up. We believe the guys in this building will get after the quarterback. To Trayvon Walker's credit, he's the one guy that has probably emerged. He's now got seven sacks to at least help Josh Allen a little bit. Right. But they don't have anybody else. Caleb nope. on Chase on Nothing. is who he is. Um, Roy Robertson Harris is a good player, but that's not his game. Dewan Smoot, I don't think it's fully recovered yet from that, that health issue last year with the Achilles. And meanwhile, Leonard Floyd, who we were screaming about, has 11 and a half sacks in Buffalo. How about Jadavian Clowney? Jadavian Clowney, seven and a half sacks in Baltimore. There is no slicing it. There is no dicing it. There is no sugarcoating it. Trent Balky missed the mark and not getting a pass rusher this offseason. Well, you held on to that money. You can't take that money with you. Or actually, I shouldn't say it that way. It would have been a one-year deal. So you could have used the money, and it would have come off the books for next season. So it, it was. It, it was an egregious miss by Trent Bulky. And again, I'm trying to draw the line here between arrogance and ignorance. And it's tough when you try to read bulky I he's got a little bit of the I'm the smartest man in the room I laugh at you guys your media types you don't know what's really going on and I understand that I get that that that's fair in his business um to to, to really any extreme but on the flip side we also have a job to do to be honest about what this team is doing and what this team is not doing forever okay since they got Trevor Lawrence my entire pitch, my entire plea has been offense, 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 offense. You cannot fix it all. This team won four games in two years. This team selected number one in consecutive seasons. They had a remarkable second half of the season last year where they won those six of seven. Ten of those or, or four of those victories uh, would the come from behind variety were by ten points more. It was absolutely stellar to think about what they did against the Raiders, the Ravens, certainly the Chargers. It just goes on and on and on to look at what they did. But you can't fix it all. And Jacksonville right now should be in a position where they're simply outscoring their opponent. And what I mean by that is not winning a game 21-20. If they have to win a game 34-30, so be it. Fix your offense. You've got the worst offensive line in pro football. You cannot run the ball. They can't run, and they certainly can't run between the guards. You you might as well just throw that out of your offense. They are getting nothing from Fortner, nothing from Ezra Cleveland. Brenton Brenton Sheriff actually had the best game of his season yesterday, according to Pro Football Focus, and he's hurt. I mean, the eye test tells you that man is hurt. I don't care what the injury report says. Just watch him play. He's hurt. That interior offensive line is absolutely awful. And you combine that with the fact they can't run, the wide receivers are getting zero separation, Trevor Lawrence is averaging 2.1 seconds before he's forced to get rid of the ball, 
that equals major problems. And, and, and it feels like I'm giving a little bit of lip service and a little bit of a, a massage here to Trevor Lawrence. Plenty of this is his fault as well. Oh, he's been bad. He's been really bad. And look, uh, far be it for me to critique Trevor Lawrence again. I made that mistake last week against Baltimore, and you would have thought I was the devil incarnate on social media. People were coming out of the woodwork at me. Oh, how can you say anything? About Trevor Lawrence. That's well, interesting because I get the exact opposite. Oh, I, I get people telling me I'm not hard enough on Trevor. Oh, man. I got just raked over the coals for talking bad about Trevor Lawrence. I st- It's like you say something bad about Trevor and all of a sudden you don't want him here, right? Don't it, be he, alone out there in public, uh, hacker. Yeah, he's not beyond criticism. He certainly deserves to be criticized for his performances. Now, granted, his offensive line's not blocking anybody. They can't run the ball. I agree. They're they mad issues at him. Running. Are they pissed at him? I think everybody's mad at everybody right now. The Jaguars because <laughs> they're blocking like it. They're blocking like they hate him. Well, they ran fifty-seven plays on Sunday, and ETN touched the ball nine times. Yeah. Nine times, yeah. and you run and you run fifty-seven plays. I don't care how you do it. Screens, reverses, line ETN up as a wide receiver. Well, they gave the ball to Tank Bigsby, right? <laughs> the third-round pick, right? I, I Is mean, that what they did? How ETN can only touch it nine times in 57 snaps. And I'll tell you something else in talking out loud here. Remember the video last year walking off the field at Arrowhead of Zay Jones telling Trevor Lawrence, we're going to be fine? That was kind of the narrative, right, among the players and uh-huh. maybe among the management. We're going to be fine. They did nothing this offseason to really improve the roster. When your valuable free agent additions were Dearness Johnson, no offense to Dearness Johnson, but that's basically all they brought in in free agency. The rookie class is not doing anything other than Anton Harrison. They're essentially running it back from last year. Last year, they were healthy. This year, they're not healthy. They banked too much on Calvin Ridley, which that's another story entirely, and they banked too much on their laurels of, we're going to be fine, let's not overhaul the roster, I don't know if it needed an overhaul, Rick, but it needed something because right now they're not fine, and it's essentially the same exact guys you had a year ago. All right, so what is that? Is that arrogance or ignorance? And I know the easy answer is this combination of yeah, both. I think probably both, yeah. Yeah, I, I, I mean, and things have not gone obviously as expected. Uh, you were out the Miller Electric Center w- with myself, and, and, and uh, our producer Dylan, uh, Dylan Denmark was out there as well uh, at times. I I love camp. You know, I'm, I'm one of the few that actually loves the offseason more than the actual season. For this very reason. Everything's measured with wins and losses. There's nothing worse for you, the Jaguar fan, when you have to get out of the rack, go to work after a loss. It's your diversion. It's your time away. And your team completely lets you down. But if you go back to the month of August, in practice at the Miller Electric Center, off the top of my head, if you were to say who were the best five players that I saw, in no particular order, I would go Trevor Lawrence, Calvin Wrigley, Tank Bigsby, Devin Lloyd, and Devon Hamilton. Mm-hmm. Look at those five. Devon Hamilton has been lost the entire year, that, that freak injury. Devin Lloyd's much better than a year ago. Still think he's got a chance. I don't know if it's football instincts. Or he just doesn't understand the game plan because he gets beat badly. Bigsby's been a disaster. Frankly, what do they have to lose? Why are they running Travis Etienne? I mean, that's when the shoulder injury with Trevor happened when they were down 30-7 to or whatever. I mean, why are they keeping these guys out there? Why not in a game like yesterday, why not hand the ball to Tank Bigsby when you're down by three-plus scores? Maybe the light goes on for him. And the whole Ridley deal, about not being on the same page 
is the biggest shock for me of them all. He was an absolute superstar. I've never seen anything like him on that practice field outside of Jimmy Smith and maybe Justin Blackman. He blew everyone away in August, and he's been pedestrian. He's been pedestrian. Now, he had six for 90 and two scores, but garbage. it was complete and total garbage, garbage. time against Tampa Bay, so I don't even really count that for Ridley. Evan Ingram is the best player they got. If I'm Trevor Lawrence, I'm throwing the ball to Ingram 20 times. And I'll tell you this, too. Christian Kirk's agent uh, may want to go to the negotiating table with the Jaguars because when Christian Kirk left this this offense, it's a different offense. Far more valuable than Calvin Ridley. Oh, my gosh, Christian Kirk, way yeah. more valuable. And here's the thing, too, about what's going on here. And I mentioned this to Dempsey in, in the two-minute drill. It's all negative, right? Obviously, it's all negative. Two things to remember. Let's really look at the four losses. Yeah. They are an Anton Harrison holding penalty away in overtime from probably beating Cincinnati. I'll give you that. They would be on the four, and you have three chances at least to punch it in from four yards. Okay. All right. Cleveland, Njoku fair caught two touchdowns. They had three <laughs> turnovers or whatever it was, and that was still a game with five minutes to go. Right. You just saw what Cleveland did to Houston. Baltimore, for as awful as the first half was, it was 10-7 late in the third. Mm-hmm. And then I can't explain Sunday. Sunday's the outlier. They were an embarrassment yeah, against It's like Tampa. the San Francisco game. Yeah, right. it's, it's impossible. Is the sky falling? Well, yes. Win-loss-wise, it is. But again, one holding penalty against Cincinnati, and maybe that is win number nine. Baltimore, it's 10-7 late in the third. Mm-hmm. Who knows? Until the defense wore down because the offense couldn't do anything. And Cleveland, it's 31-27 with an onside kick with 90 seconds to go. Yeah. They haven't been awful until Sunday. And my concern is Sunday was absolute rock bottom because I think Sunday was worse than San Francisco. And how will this team now respond amidst a four-game losing streak knowing now they are in a basic must-win the next two weeks with Carolina coming in here on Sunday? Well, Yeah, and that's kind of the way I'm looking at this. I think they beat Carolina. So if they beat Carolina, they're going to host, all right, depending on what happens with Indy and and Houston. I know they face one another the the week after, and those are both winnable games uh, for both Indy uh, and Houston. I would hate to have to go to Nashville to have to win that game. Yeah. The Titans will be fired up. They're out of the playoffs. They play hard every week. And they would love to do to Jacksonville what Um, Jacksonville did to them last year and knock Jacksonville out. But uh, as crazy as it may sound, you could still predict today that the Jaguars are playing in the divisional round of the AFC playoffs. There's no – there's no all they, you get in and you host. I'll tell you a disheartening – You get in and you host. And a disheartening thought I had coming in, it's probably going to be Cleveland. If Jacksonville gets in, it's probably going to be Cleveland. And you know what that means. They can beat Cleveland. Yeah, but 25,000, 30,000 dog pound members. Bring them here. That'll be a Cleveland – that'll be a neutral site game. Hell, if I lived in Cleveland, I, I, I'd come here as well. So um, – Jacksonville needs to win this game at home. Two and five in Jacksonville. Uh, you gave them a Monday night and a Sunday night, and, and they stunk the join out both times. I, I guess it's Fan Appreciation Day uh, coming up Sunday. The fans have done their part. Everyone in this city has done their part. Uh, Doug Peterson's talking about pride. Pride left the NFL 20 years ago. There's no pride in pro football. These guys are over the loss in Tampa. They were over that by the time they landed back late on Christmas Eve. There's no more pride in college football. Just look at the transfer portal. 
Pride is years and years ago. Pride is when you played high school football. These guys are here today. They're gone tomorrow. Three-quarters of the guys we just mentioned will not be on this roster next year. So you can't go to the pride card. That no longer applies in pro football. Did you see Mahomes rip his offensive line yesterday? Yeah. Yeah, I did. Does Trevor Lawrence have the Getting clout? Getting better. Does Trevor Lawrence have the clout to do that here? That was my biggest question when I was still the sideline reporter talking with Dabo Sweeney, talking with uh, uh, who was his former offensive coordinator who became the head coach at uh, oh, Elliott. Yeah. Uh, became the head coach of Virginia. Yeah. I, instead of talking about the Cavaliers, I apologize, Virginia fans, and, and talking about Clemson, my entire conversation with both those coaches was fire in the belly with Trevor Lawrence. It had just been his rookie season. And, and as a sideline reporter, I saw none of it. He was a rookie. They both told me it was Tony Elliott. I, Tony I believe Elliott. it. Yep. It it um, it'll come. We've seen more of it. We saw it with Ridley. We've seen a little bit. Now I'm not behind the bench the way I used to, so I, I can only go what I see in the box or if they're on the road, what television does see. But he is becoming more vocal. I, I think we have to remember that he is a 24 year old. And I again, I don't want to make excuses here for Trevor Lawrence. I also don't want you people to give up. On Trevor Lawrence, okay? He's 24. He's at an ankle, a shoulder, a head, and in a knee. He's had four injuries this year. Yeah. The offensive line is terrible. And the thing about the offensive line, too, Rick, is this. Remember those shirts in training camp? Yeah, 31st in They're the league. Worse. They're worse. Yeah, they are 31st in the league. They're a terrible offensive line. They're worse line. than they were a year ago. And I saw Patrick Mahomes light into his guys yesterday, and some of those guys have Super Bowl rings on their fingers for not blocking and not – I mean, what is the offensive line doing well? They can't run the ball, and Trevor's getting killed every game. They, they do nothing well. No, nothing. They, they don't do anything. That offensive line eats and goes to the bathroom. <laughs> Those are the two things they do in Jacksonville. So, it is the worst offensive line in pro football. Will Cam Robinson potentially coming back help that? Walker Little's allowed 13 pressures in the last two Sundays. They screwed him up. You know who your best offensive lineman four games in was? Walker Little. Yeah. They moved him inside. He played 11 snaps and got hurt. He's never been the same. And if they bring back Cam, if he's healthy and he goes and they make a run, fine. I still think they're going to recoup that $17,775,000 next year. They're not going to bring him back. So that means you're going to go into 2024 with still somewhat of an experiment at left tackle and the final year of Walker Little's contract. I think we need to take a break, don't we, Dylan? Why don't we do that? We come back. we got much more to do. We're going to grab calls later in the show. Uh, right now, the text line is absolutely buzzing, and you could be a part of that, 641 on our text line brought to you by Lifetime Enclosures. Listen, let it out. You're going to feel better. But I'll also tell you right now, I would not be surprised if this team, as bad as they are, makes it to the divisional round of the playoffs. Ah, the Blue Crab Crab House, Christmas Eve. They had to throw me out of there. They're like, Blue, we got families. We got to get home. They are open today. $2 margaritas. The Blue Crab Crab House. They open the doors at 4. Tomorrow, $1 oysters. Got three trays of them on Christmas Eve. And then went to the uh, the standard snow crab, uh, which is absolutely 
outstanding. But, yes, they're back in business. They were out for quite some time after a major kitchen fire. It's the good folks there right off of San Jose. It is on Julington Creek Road. I literally went there once because I heard you talking about them, and it's some of the best seafood I've ever had. Does Forest eat seafood? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. It's interesting. Heidi being from New England, you would think Maine, obviously, lobster. Heidi cannot stand seafood. Are you kidding me? No, she can't stand. I guess she had it so much when she was younger that she's just not a seafood person. But as far as me and Forrest go, absolutely. You and I are a couple of big eaters. Some may even define us as overfed. <laughs> sure. Um, I'll rank it seafood, Italian, Tex-Mex. Mm-hmm. And then I got a little Rosie O'Donnell in me. Just give me a buffet. And whatever you put in front of my face, I'm going to go. G- give me a th- three favorite types of food. You know what? Like the hibachi scene has really oh, grown on me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Hibachi. Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm starting to really get into that. The, Jerk. Yeah, that, the, fry, the salmon, fried rice, that uh-huh. sort of thing. Uh, Mexican is always uh, a go-to. And I'm, I'm typical, man. Just give, give, me a, give me a good sports bar. Give me a... You're not an Italian guy? Uh, yeah, yeah, I mean... Yes. What would I say? Would I be upset if I had Italian? No, I wouldn't be upset. But if you give me the option, Mexican, sports bar, seafood, I would say Italian's probably down the list a little okay. bit. Okay. Dylan Denmark, our producer. He is Hacker Nation. My name's Rick Blue. Hacker with you each and every night at 8. I'm with you 6 to 8. Uh, this week we're in uh, for prime time, which will join you today at 3 o'clock. All right. Let's talk about Trevor Lawrence. Generational talent, face of the franchise, going to turn everything around. The good is this. The man has played hurt. Knee brace, ankle, head, now shoulder. Doug Peterson expected to talk in 10 minutes, so we'll have a, hopefully, uh, an update. It is, you know, a Tuesday off day. Of course, yesterday was Christmas, so things have changed a little bit. As far as their schedule, I'm hoping we have some sort of a report on Trevor Lawrence as well as Anton Harrison uh, coming up in 10 minutes or so for Doug Peterson. Where do you put Trevor Lawrence into all of this, the four-game losing streak, his numbers, the injuries, the offensive line, the whole spiel? He's part of it. I mean, he's certainly part of it. He's not without blame. He's not without criticism. He hasn't played very well. The fumbles are are beyond ridiculous at this point. We talk about him after his rookie year, after last year, and then certainly after you know the games this year, and he fumbles the ball. The M.O. on him is he fumbles the ball, maybe a little skittish in the pocket. Look, when he's healthy and he can roll outside and get outside the tackle box and wing it down the field, that is when he is at his most dangerous, and he is phenomenal. But right now, with that interior offensive line that couldn't block you or I and those guys are getting pushed back and right into Trevor. I honestly wonder, Rick, if there's, you know, some some brake lights there. If, if Trevor's yep. seeing, you know, some some issues with getting hit so many times. Ghosts. Battling through so many injuries. It'll, he'll never say it publicly. But how can you have confidence in your front guys on the O-line right now? No, you can't. How can you? you? You cannot. You're getting bent over backwards every week. You can't run the ball. Those guys aren't blocking anybody. I mean, you can't have confidence in those guys, and I think the lack of confidence in other phases of the offense is certainly affecting Trevor Lawrence. Jacksonville's tied for second in the NFL with 25 takeaways. They're minus three in point differential. Yeah, yeah. Let me, let me, t- let me repeat that. They are tied for second in the NFL. 32 teams. They're tied for second. They have 25 takeaways. 
They are minus three on the year. They, they, they cannot protect uh, the football. It, it has been the biggest problem that they have had during this four-game losing streak. I, I'm going to put the fact that they can't run the football uh, right up there next to them, uh, right next to that. I, I, I don't know what to make out of this with Trevor Lawrence because, he again, he looks so good in August, and he looks so good when you allow him protection. He, he still makes some passes that only a few quarterbacks in the league uh, do make, but losing the football has become an issue, and, and you're right. I mean, you can't fumble the ball. You just can't do that in this league. But you go back to those two first-half interceptions that he threw on Sunday. To me, those were two plays that were, again, total miscommunication. It did not look like he was on the same page with his targeted players, wide receivers in this case. How many times are we going to say that? This is, for the most part, a a veteran group, okay? I, I guess Wrigley is new, and you had Elijah Cooks out there, so maybe that's not 100% accurate. I'm thinking of, you know, when Zay and Kirk are there, and I get it. Those two did not play in the game. But at this point in his career, you would think that he's on the same page with his wide receivers. Yeah, I thought Devin White made a great play on the first interception. The second one to Winfield, it was obvious that there was miscommunication there. And you're seeing that more and more with Trevor and his guys. Apparently, you know, it looks like the only guy he has really good chemistry with right now is Ingram. I would not say he has good chemistry with Ridley uh, because we've seen that in the past. And again, it goes to show you what they're missing with Christian Kirk and to an extent a healthy Zay Jones. The offense just looks very bad out there. And I want to say something, too. You know, Trevor's going to get the blame or the credit based on the quarterback position. That's the reality of the situation. But as we talked about, on Sunday in Tampa, nothing went right. I go back to the defense quickly with Jake Browning, Joe Flacco, and Baker Mayfield. Those are three of your last four losses. Jake Browning, Joe Flacco, who's 39 years old, and Baker Mayfield, who was left for dead and was on three NFL teams last year. And those guys threw for basically 1,000 yards yeah. against the Jaguars mm-hmm. in three games. The guy you'd played best against was Lamar Jackson, but then again, Baltimore at 250 <laughs> yards on the ground. So yeah. as, as much as we're going to critique Trevor and the offense, and they certainly deserve blame, when the defense isn't stopping anybody either, it just compounds the problem that much further. Use a third-round pick on Chad Muma. He was dressed and out there yesterday. He did not play. That is a wasted draft pick. Mm-hmm. You've gone two years. He had the one start a year ago against Baltimore. Totally a wasted pick. Head, head needs the roll for that right there. I mean, you, you, you can't miss this way. Again, Brenton Strange, 11 plays yesterday. Tank Bigsby, the Chad movement on the other side of the bench. Third-round draft pick. Did not see the field yesterday. Tank Bigsby in the last five games has six offensive snaps. Two carries. You wasted a third-round pick on this guy. During the offseason, I was shocked that Mike Caldwell, when asked, what is the biggest concern that you have? What is the biggest issue that your defense needs to fix? And I think the entire planet of Jaguar fans expected him to say, we need a better pass rush. We need to get to – he didn't. He said missed tackles. I don't remember the exact number – I want to say Jacksonville was in the bottom five of the NFL last year in missed tackles. It had gotten better this year. There's been a few exceptions, and that includes Sunday. They missed 15 tackles 
against the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. How do you fix that? You don't hit. You don't hit. You think they're going to go out and hit tomorrow? You think they're going to do board drills? You think they're going to line up ETN in the backs and have these linebackers and safeties go full? If you're not hitting, if you're not making tackles, that that's a coaching issue. Um, or is it about the players? Is that they learned how to tackle and pop Warner in high school and college? If you're at this level and you have to teach these players how to tackle, uh, th- then they should be doing something else. I mean, I, I want to draw the line here. Whose fault is it? Is that coaching that you miss 15 tackles? Or is this directly the players not doing their job? And it's, you know, against Baker Mayfield. I mean, no offense to Baker Mayfield. He's not known for being the most elusive quarterback back there. I mean, if you miss 15 tackles against Lamar Jackson or Justin Fields or somebody like that, well, it sucks. But, okay, that's what they're known for. Baker Mayfield is not a a scrambling guy. And he was making them look silly out there in, in ridiculous, ridiculous ways. And, look, I'm curious the pulse of the fans I know we're going to open up these phone lines in a little bit at 641-1010. Like, I put on uh, social media earlier, what do you expect the Jaguars to do in the last three games? How many games do you expect them to win? Zero, one, or two? Just to kind of gauge. We got 350 votes right now. Feel free to go vote at Ryan Green on Twitter. Zero wins, 23%. One win, 42%. And they win both of them, 34%. 350 is a decent sample size. Yeah, it is. One and one? Does one and one get you into the playoffs right now? If you finish nine and eight and you go one and one, are you a division champion? I don't know. I would tend to doubt it because I think Houston's going to beat Tennessee. Mm-hmm. And then if Houston beats Indy, they win the division if you go one and one. So again, the Jaguars are on the verge of one of the biggest late season collapses ever, and there's no answers. The defense isn't playing well, the offense isn't playing well, the kicker can't make a field goal to save his life right now, and I don't care about the wind. Yeah. Oh, it was windy in the last couple of games. Yeah. Well, the wind didn't seem to bother McLaughlin That's when he a drilled surprise. a 51-yarder. I thought McManus was his best free agent acquisition. You know who wasn't surprised? The people in Denver. Yeah. The people in Denver are probably saying, see, told you. That's why he was available. We saw what the Raiders did yesterday. They go to Indy, as you pointed out. Indy, a three-point home favorite. They'll play the same thing. That's another thing. When the Jags took the field on Sunday, they knew they knew that yeah. Houston and Indianapolis had both lost, and they had an opportunity to put a one-game lead ahead of those two. I I get it, you get it. They they hold the tiebreakers. That that that's nice, but it's still you know feel free to put a little bit of distance uh, ahead of the next two teams. So this game is very winnable for Indianapolis. They're a three-point favorite against the Raiders. And then, you know, we'll find out about C.J. Stroud this weekend, but they host Tennessee at home, even though Tennessee is one of, what, only three, maybe four teams in the AFC that have been eliminated for the playoffs. They play hard under Mike Vrabel, and they're going to give Houston all they want. Still, Houston favored in this game by three and a half. Those teams both easily could win, forcing Jacksonville to have to win just to stay par. There's no doubt. I mean, Jacksonville, to me, you got to go 2-0 and to get in the playoffs. I don't think 1-1 is going to get it done because I think either Houston or Indy is going to win out. Having said that, are you surprised? And again, sometimes I have to remind myself that the people on social media are the vast minority of Jaguar fans. For every 100 people listening to our voice right now, I would imagine 75 to 80 of them aren't even on social media. So you got to take that into account. 
But are you surprised that it appears Jaguar Twitter, if you will, the one person they're starting to go after is Press Taylor. It appears no. Press Taylor is getting the venom as opposed to Mike Caldwell. A little bit of Trent Balky, but primarily it appears they've chosen their victim in Press Taylor. Jacksonville in their fan base does a real good job of identifying one or two or three individuals and they just crush them. I mean, you can go back to Luke Jokel. You can get to Trayvon Walker. Um, you know, the list is endless. Um, Trent Balky. Trent Balky has certainly been on there. Press Taylor's been it all year. And, and that was even happening when they were winning football games. When they were winning football games by double digits, he has basically, uh, you know, been on that list. We, we have seen guys change for the better. We saw it with Tyson Campbell after the first eight games of his career, although he's had major setbacks. Uh, obviously, the growing and uh, what else has he had? A hamstring. He's had a growing. A he's quad. Yeah, he's had it all. He's he's been nicked up this year. That that has certainly had somewhat of an effect uh, on him. Hey, look, Jaguar Twitter wasn't a big fan of Dewey Wingard at first. No, they were not. And then he has turned into a fan favorite. So it can happen. It's happened to Josh Allen. Yeah. Right. Yeah. No one has escaped the wrath uh, of this fan base. And you know, right now we're. Depending on where you go, you're seeing it with Trevor Lawrence. There are people out there convinced that Trevor Lawrence is never going to take this football team to where they need to be. I, I, I want to caution. I want, I want to put up a big caution to that. Although I will say my confidence at this point is not as high as it was going into the year. I do want to consider everything else that we've talked about. But, yeah, it is alarming. Let's – um. Why don't we do this? Top of the hour break. We'll come back. Uh, I guess we're about 30 minutes away uh, from taking you and your phone calls. I, I, I definitely want to get to some of these on the text line as well. I'm looking here. We've received hundreds since we've been on, so that's always encouraging. 641-1010 on the text line brought to you by Lifetime Enclosures. We'll also talk about some good news. That's Florida State football in their <laughs> matchup against Georgia on uh, Saturday. Are they going to be able to field a roster? And the Gators in the transfer portal. So uh, a little bit of college football coming up as well in our second hour. Hacker and Blue, 1010XL, 92.5 FM. And for the rest of the week, noon to three, glad you are with us. Doug Peterson, the Jaguar head coach, Rick, meeting the media right now. Trevor Lawrence, the term is an AC sprain, uh, said he's sore, is progressing. It's too early to tell if he'll be on the practice field tomorrow. But, I mean, if it's too early to tell if he'll be practicing tomorrow, the game's five days away. We've seen Trevor play through a lot. We'll see what happens there. Maybe the most notable news, probably their best special teams player, Daniel Thomas, a broken forearm, which just sounds awful. Uh, and he's going to miss some time. And with where we are in the year, you wonder if you see Daniel Thomas again this season. Yeah, such a valuable gunner. Uh, if you remember the last several years, he's been on one side. Chris Claybrooks, who, remind, who remains on the uh, commissioner's exempt list, uh, had been on the other. And, you know, everything is about punting and kicking. I, I think oftentimes you forget about coverage, but Jags have been very good in that area. So this is a big blow. Now here for Daniel Thomas. Uh, as far as Trevor Lawrence being ready tomorrow or this week, well, he said after the game on Sunday, we look like we don't even practice. So maybe he doesn't need any practice. Um, I'm not sure. I, I think it's simple to say 
that if this was 2020 or 2021, I think they would shut down Trevor Lawrence. The, the, I mean, he's had four injuries now. He had a, the knee brace, the ankle. Out of everything, I'm still surprised he came back and played after that ankle. Mm-hmm. I thought he was out a minimum of a couple of weeks. The concussion protocol, now a sprained AC joint in his throwing shoulder. The man has had four injuries, and, and he, is a, he is a tough guy. But I, I think you have to look at it this way. Is he helping the team more than he's hurting the team? Or is he hurting the team more than he's helping the team? There's a big difference between C.J. Beathard and Trevor Lawrence. Is there a big difference between C.J. Beathard and Trevor Lawrence, who's dealing with one injury after another? That's the unfortunate thing about the loss to Tampa, is if you were to win that game, you beat Carolina, you could almost rest Lawrence in Tennessee to give him a bye, if you will, heading into the playoffs. The Jaguars don't have that luxury because they're fighting, scratching, and clawing for that fourth spot in the AFC South. If they don't get that fourth spot, they might not even make the playoffs with Cleveland and Cincinnati both owning tiebreakers over the Jaguars. And look, I think Doug Peterson was asked earlier if the message is still getting through to the team because every week you've been in all these press conferences, right? Mm-hmm. And, and you, you've – You've been locked in as of I, as of most people listening. You know, that you listen to Trevor Lawrence or to Doug Peterson every week. It's the same things that are happening. The pre-snap penalties, the turnovers, the, quote, self-inflicted wounds. I bet you could take sound bites from Doug Peterson's pressers last week and the week before and the week before, and, Rick, you could play them right now, and people wouldn't know what week it was. It's the same stuff. The coaches are talking about it with the players every week. They're reinforcing it. But for whatever reason, the same mistakes keep happening. Yeah, those pre-snap penalties are a major concern. Again, the miscommunication is something I just can't I can't figure it out. Um, I'm not being facetious here when I bring up Urban Meyer, okay, and how poorly coached they were then. I, I think we all look at the wins and the losses, but, I mean, some of the miscommunication that we've seen in the month of December here is absolutely baffling to me. And, you know, Parker Washington, a rookie, all right, he ran the wrong route. That led to the injury. He didn't get out of bounds. Should Trevor thrown the ball? Then you look at young DBs and the pre, you know, the pre-motion set that Cincinnati ran. And, you know, you get to the Calvin Ridley. And I thought the team was brilliant with the way that they handled uh, Calvin Ridley. They they know he's fragile. You know he's the the psyche uh, is an issue. He was upset at the media when he was asked about running the wrong route. It 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 hurt his feelings, or it upset him. And then a day later, what did you get? You got a total cover job, a total covered up job by Press Taylor, who basically put every interception on Trevor. And you know why I did that? Because he said Trevor's a tough enough guy. He's tough enough mentally where he can handle this public criticism, lay off Calvin Ridley. So I'm not saying there's a rift in the locker room. I'm not saying that. But, again, feelings were hurt. Feelings were hurt. And so it's just – and then all of a sudden it's that, you know, you guys are making too much noise on defense. I mean, too much noise on defense. And then the left side of the line, there's no continuity, no chemistry because they're hurt. Well, I watched San Francisco last night. Their entire offensive line's out. I watched Tampa, which had injuries on that. I mean, everyone's hurt this time of year. So I don't, whether they're excuses or they're just facts, 
I don't like it. Everybody in this city is looking for answers. You are, I am, fans are, the players, the coaches, everybody. Will one win against a 2-13 and Carolina Panther team on Sunday, will that calm the waters? Will that get us back into yeah. neutral and be like, all right, 9-7, and seven, beat Tennessee, your division champions. So as bad as it seems right now, and I tend to agree with you, if you win a home game yeah. against the worst team record-wise in the National Football League, the Carolina Panthers, one win against Carolina, who's lost 13 of 15 games this year, we're going to be sitting here next Tuesday with a much more dramatic positive tone than we are right now. On the flip side, if Carolina comes in here and wins, well, then at that point, the sky is falling and the season is probably over. Uh, these fans are incredibly resilient, and they can be had. Okay? I mean, it's like this is like a 2 a.m. last call. Okay. I've had a few of those. And all of a sudden, oh, there she is, my dream girl. <laughs> you win on Sunday, everything is going to be fine. Okay? Um, you get into the playoffs, you host. All of this angst, all of this negativity goes away. And, and that's the point. I'm, despite my frustration, despite my aggravation, I still think they're going to win the AFC South. I still think they're going to host a playoff game here. In just a couple of weeks, and you've got a real legitimate shot of winning that game and going back to the division around the playoffs. So if they do that, everything we've talked about, firing coordinators, firing coaches, is Trent Baalke on the hot seat? This, that all goes away. If they make it to the division around the playoffs, that, I mean, this team was 9-8 and eight last year, 1-1 one one in the playoffs. Same deal right now going into the final two weeks of the year. They're one game above five hundred. Eight and seven. They got a chance to go ten and seven or nine and eight. Um, are they going to go eight and nine? I'd, I'd be shocked if that's the case. Yeah, I don't think they're going to go eight and nine. I think they'll win minimum one, hopefully two. Again, Carolina is playing hard. They just beat Atlanta nine seven. They lost to Green Bay thirty three thirty. So they're not mailing it in. Because keep in mind, they don't own their pick anyway. It's Chicago's pick. Chicago is going to have the number one pick in the draft based on the awful trade Carolina made. So they're battling. You know Tennessee would love the chance to end Jacksonville's season week 18 in Nashville, so that is not going to be easy by any stretch of the imagination. But let's say you're right, and I'm not saying that I disagree with you. Let's say Jacksonville beats Carolina, beats Tennessee, finishes 10-7, and and wins the AFC South, and they lose wild card weekend. Is the season still considered a disappointment? Yes. I agree, because they did not get further than where right. they got last I year. I mean, it, this – this year had first round by home field advantage at least to the divisional round for three hours. They were the number the one seed twenty two yeah. days ago. It, it, it is going to end up being a disappointment if they lose here wild card weekend. Uh, that is a step back. And let me tell you something: this is going to be the most incredible off season that I think this franchise has ever had. Okay. It amazes me, and, and I've always said this, and I, I want to word it correctly. Of course, I love football season. Football season, to me, goes by like that. It's here one day, and it's gone. I've always said I love the offseason more than I love in-season because everything's measured on wins and losses. Again, today, just look how bad things are uh, with these losses. You get to the offseason, it becomes, what's this team going to do? Who are they going to re-sign? Free agency in the draft. You look at 
a plethora of very difficult decisions that this franchise is going to have to make. I'll give you an example. The two automatics for me, one and two, that this team had to do in the offseason. Get the Trevor Lawrence deal done. It's going to be so much money, but get it done because the more you wait, the years you wait, the more it's going to end up costing you on the back end. And number two, sign Calvin Ridley. Both those decisions right now for me, Trevor's on delay. I'm in no hurry to re-sign him to a long-term contract extension. Let him play out year four. You can pick up a fifth-year option. You could franchise him in year six. Number two, Calvin Wrigley. There's no way I'm paying Calvin Wrigley. Top 10, top seven, top six, top, top. I'm not giving Calvin Wrigley the bag. He just turned 29 last week. Yeah, I'd rather get T. Higgins in here. I'd much rather have T. Higgins, who is a free agent, although T. Higgins is going to be in high demand. From everybody, some news coming out of Doug Peterson's presser. Cam Robinson's 21-day practice window will indeed open today or tomorrow, I guess. Doug Peterson is, quote, optimistic he will be ready to go. And Doug Peterson is quoted as saying, we got the right guys up front. We just got to go get the same five guys playing together. We're hopeful Cam can get back. Peterson also clarified that when Cam comes back, that would indeed make Walker Little the swing tackle. Anton Harrison appears to be healthy, even though he left the game on Sunday with the back. It's very interesting with Cam Robinson. There's another one that I've been saying forever. He's gone. You know, that cap hit is what, $25 million next year. I think you recoup $17.75 million if you end up bringing him back. Uh, they're what, 6-2 and two with it with him? And they he's have been a good record. he's been in there. He has been good. He, he's terribly overpriced. Immensely overpriced. But... Uh, are they a better team with him? I, I, I think those comments also do say this. Uh, Walker Little's not a guard. Playing him at left guard was not what this team needed to do. But Hacker becomes a twofold situation. Like, let's say he comes back. Let's say the Jags make it to the play. Your scenario you raised a minute ago. What if they lose during wild card weekend? Okay. Season's over. In my opinion, Cam Robinson's gone. They're not going to give him that money. You go in the next year knowing one thing. You have a starting right tackle. You still don't know if Walker Little is your left tackle. He's hurt, yes. His numbers this week, he actually had a 64.1, which is really high for him. It was a pretty good grade, according to Pro Football Focus. But he did allow five pressures. So that's 13 pressures he's allowed in the last two weeks. You'll go in the next year not knowing anything outside of your tackles. Your left guard, your center, and your right guard all have to be replaced. So do you put a Band-Aid on this with Cam Robinson and try to get out of it what you can with the flip side being your future protector of Trevor Lawrence, your future left tackle, isn't even going to play here down the stretch. The offensive line's been so bad. I'm open for anything this offseason. I think you look at it, Rick. You mentioned Anton Harrison, Walker Little. Um, Luke Fortner will be under contract. I don't know what that means next year, but he'll be under contract. He's gone. To me, the thought was Cooper Hodges, right? He's going to factor in somewhere. They seem to really like him in camp. We haven't heard anything from him, obviously, since the injury. And I'm curious, have you seen enough from Ezra Cleveland, who's going to be a free agent? I'll tell you this, Ezra Cleveland right now, has probably been in totality their best interior lineman since he arrived here. Yeah, pro football focus destroyed him yesterday. Um, I thought he was better than advertised. I also thought Roy Robertson-Harris played the best game 
maybe of his season yesterday and pro football focus destroyed him. Maybe I use a little bit too much um, with that particular, you know, analysis and, and what they bring as far as their analytics. I've, I've never truthfully been able to figure all that out. The Cooper Hodges situation is fascinating to me. There are a lot of people believe that he is the heir apparent for Brandon Sheriff at, at right guard. This guy was the 226th player selected in last year's draft. He was a seventh round selection. And if you're penciling him in to be the guy, flip a coin. Mm-hmm. You, you just, you do not know. That, that's wishful thinking to say right now, all right, you only really need to address center and left guard because Cooper Hodges is going to be your starting right guard in, uh, in 2024. That's the unfortunate thing about the injuries, too, is because of the injury, you do not know. But Cooper Hodges, to me, was going to be the heir apparent. Unfortunately, Rick, you haven't seen him play, and that's going to affect a lot of things moving forward. All right, why don't we do it? Why don't we take some calls? Let's hear from some of these diehard Jaguar fans out there. If you want to get on in, two ways to do so. Call 641-1010. Got to get through Dylan uh, Denmark, all right? And you can also get us on the text line. Same number, 641-1010. Brought to you by Lifetime Enclosures. Yeah, my type of music. We got a lot of some happy hours this week, right? Out at three. What the heck am I going to do? I'm going to go by Cimarron and uh, hit some balls. New ownership. New money, everything's changed over there, folks. Give it a shot. And then get to me on it. I think you'll be shocked. Yeah, you say simmer on it's like, oh! Like a bad meal. It's like the Jaguars offense. They've scored 19 points in the last two games. But they have fixed everything. The greens, the fairways, the tee boxes. Uh, new ownership right out there on 210. Yes, they are part of the 210 Mafia. And uh, go ahead and check out the good folks at Cimarron. When's the last time you've been on the golf course? Uh, it's been a while. In fact, you were mentioning Cimarron. I was thinking back when I played pretty regularly, two of my most lasting memories on a golf course happened at Cimarron. I drilled a car in the parking lot, uh, which is why the whole hacker name really uh, stands what, out. The par three ninth? No, it was, it was somewhere in the front nine. It was a long time ago. But I remember mm-hmm. drilling a car and thinking that's really bad. And then I also had my first par ever at Cimarron, which was one of the par threes on the back. Okay. So, yeah, but, I mean, we're talking, you know, 10, 12, 13, 15 years ago, easy. But Cimarron always has a special place in my heart for those two, uh, those two facts. Listen, it's hard to change your reputation. Look at yours truly. I mean, all you out there think I'm a good guy. And it's <laughs> the same thing when talking about Cimarron. It's got an awful reputation. But they've spent money, Okay. A great deal of money. Go on out there, give it a shot, and then let me know what you think. Six four one ten ten on the text line. You ready to grab some of these callers? I am. But I'm going to turn down the volume because I have a feeling they're going to be upset here. Based on the text line and based on social media, we got a lot of people in Jacksonville that have a lot to get off their chest. All right, let's go to Mike, who is first up. Welcome to uh, Baloo and Hacker. What's up, Mike? Hey, guys. Um, I just wanted to make an observation Although we lost some games this year, we really were in most of them. There weren't many games that we didn't just beat ourselves. And um, my thought is, late in the game, when Trevor's banged up, why didn't we rest him when the game was out of reach? Uh, Another thing is, can we recover with only the Panthers and Texans left with injuries and the turnover battle? Can we get back on track? Appreciate that call. Uh, 
it, to me, it's one of the ongoing mysteries of being a coach and then being an analyst or a talk show host. Why they keep quarterbacks in when the game's not still a factor. I mean, I can go back to Jordan Travis against Pitt mm-hmm. when he took that shot to his knee with less than five minutes to go. There was no chance that Pitt was going to score in that game. I think it was 24-7 at the time. And we saw it here the last couple of weeks with, with Trevor Lawrence. I made the same case about Travis Etienne. That would have been a perfect opportunity to see what Tank Bigsby can do. What can C.J. Beathard do? What can Tank Bigsby do? I've had many conversations with Dave Campo about this, who obviously is the former head coach of the Dallas Cowboys. The fact remains that your backup quarterback barely practices during the week, right? He doesn't get any reps, and coaches are always very peculiar. I mean, if it's a 20-point game with five minutes to go, they're always thinking worst-case scenario. What if we fumble? What if this happens? What if that happens? Trevor did come out of the game, obviously, but it was after the injury. Um, it's 30-6 to six when he got hurt. They were relatively moving the ball down the field. I mean, I don't know. I can kind of see both sides of it. It wasn't the fourth quarter. It was the third quarter, you know. So, uh, you could Monday morning quarterback thing all you want, but the NFL, the way it works, not just here in Jacksonville, look around the league. If it's not a 50-point blowout, quarterbacks very, very rarely come out of these games. 80-58 says, uh, guys, move on from Trevor. He lacks mental capacity and the intensity to be a quarterback. Move um, on as in we need another quarterback? That's what I'm taking it oh, as. No, 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 no. There are much bigger problems than Trevor. He's, he's a 24-year-old in his third year, and he's injured. But you have no running attack, and wide receivers aren't getting separation. I, I'm still giving Trevor the benefit of the doubt. Is, is he generational? No. Has he made his share of mistakes? Absolutely. I'm not in any rush to give him this March that long-term contract extension that I was screaming about all off-season last year. I'm, I think I'm okay with that, but I'm not moving on from Trevor Lawrence. No, and the fact remains that on Sunday, we talk about how bad the offense was, and it was bad. Outside of Calvin Ridley, your other receivers were an undrafted rookie free agent, a sixth-round rookie, a return man turn-wide receiver here in Jacksonville and Jamal Agnew, and a guy that very rarely plays in Tim Jones. That is the reality. Evan Ingram had a phenomenal game, saved the fumble with 10 grabs. By the way, we talked about this earlier. There are a couple of positives. Evan Ingram is only going to become the second Jacksonville Jaguar player ever in franchise history to have 100 catches in a single season. Jimmy Smith did it twice. Uh, Evan Ingram is going to do it probably on Sunday. He has 98 grabs. Amidst the four-game losing streak and all the problems with Trevor and everything we've talked about, Evan Ingram is having one of the best seasons in the history of the Jacksonville Jaguars. Yet the Jaguars completely wasted a second-round pick on Brenton Strange. And maybe it ends up being a wonderful pick. But in year one, it's a disaster. Luke Farrell's a better player. It's an F. Brenton Strange is an F. Tank Bigsby, your second and third round picks are Fs in year one. Let's grab another call. Let's go to Steve. Hey, how you guys doing? What's up, Steve? How you guys doing? Uh, look, I wanted to talk about Trevor Lawrence and Doug Peterson, okay? Uh, coming from Philadelphia, I watched every single game that Doug Peterson ever coached. And this is what he does, okay? 
you're never going to have the consistency of a bill of check or anything like that. It's up and down, up and down, up and down. Now, you got to give him credit. He did win a Super Bowl, but you're going to have these streaks with him. His teams are incredibly inconsistent. Now, he can get streaky and win a Super Bowl. He's proven that. But that's the way his teams are. And as far as Trevor Lawrence goes, look, I want Trevor to be great. I want to see the Jaguars win. Okay? In my opinion, he's an average starting quarterback in the NFL. And I don't think you're, you're not going to see Peyton Manning out of this guy. Okay, He was supposed to be, in my opinion, he's not ever going to be that. I think he's going to be an average starting quarterback in the league. Stay appreciated. Um, all right, a couple of things here. Doug Peterson's best position group in Philadelphia is offensive line. Mm-hmm. The Jaguars' worst position group, the offensive line. That's all you got to say. Look back over his career. He had one 1,000-yard receiver. It was Ertz. It was a tight end. They were interchangeable at wide receiver. They were interchangeable at running back. He had a great defense. And he had an outstanding offensive line in Philly. Now, the Super Bowl year was what, Alshon Jeffrey and Nelson Aguilar? Yeah. I mean, they're guys. They're okay, but there weren't anything spectacular, particularly at that point. And look at the quarterbacks he won with. Yeah, obviously Foles and Carson Wentz before he got hurt. The thing with Trevor, it's hard to argue that. I mean, I, I know people scoffed at this last week, and maybe I'm too much of a fantasy football statistician guy, but again, you blank out the names and you have – Quarterback A and quarterback B, career touchdowns, career picks, yardage, everything. And Trevor Lawrence and Daniel Jones were basically the same player. And here in Jacksonville, people got their feathers ruffled for that. That is factual. Mm -hmm. There's no arguing those numbers. You can have an opinion on it, and you can say, well, this is the reason that is, and that's the reason that is. But based on the facts of the statistics and the numbers that they showed, Daniel Jones and Trevor Lawrence – at this point in their careers, are unbelievably similar quarterbacks. Yeah, it's it's a tough pill for all of you know Jaguar fans to uh, to swallow. I, I'm looking. I'm going way down here trying to get his quarterback. You know his quarterback rating. He's 19th in the NFL at 89.1. I mean, ahead of him, Jalen Hurts, Geno Smith, an injured Joe Burrow, Patrick Mahomes was really down. Jordan Love, Stafford, Herbert, Carr. Allen, Easton Stick, only been three games. Baker Mayfield. Baker Mayfield's got 26 touchdowns and eight interceptions. You look at Trevor Lawrence. He's what? 18. He's 19 and 12. Jacksonville on third down this year. 36.4%. Yeah. Seriously. How are you going to win in this league when you have the 26th best rushing attack? Just over 93 yards a game. In your third down percentage, 36.4%. That is awful. Last year, they were nearly 42%. That may not sound like a lot, but when you're looking at 17 games last year and 15 games this year, trust me, that is a huge number. That's that's nearly six points. And you look at Baker Mayfield. Uh, look, he has Mike Evans, a future Hall of Famer. He has Chris Godwin. He has a very good receiver out of the backfield and Rashad White. I mean, he's got a lot of talent around him. Trevor has been hampered by the injury to Zay Jones and now Christian Kirk being out. The Jaguars lack depth, and that goes back, Rick, to what we talked about in hour number one. They rested on their laurels after last season. They knew they were right there with Kansas City. They went toe-to-toe with the world champions at Arrowhead 
They're going to be fine, right? That's what we heard. We're going to be fine. We're, we got it. It's built. So they did not go out and dramatically change or improve this roster. They thought Ridley was going to have more of an impact than he's had. And then when your next biggest free agent signing is Brandon McManus or Dearness Johnson on offense, you didn't do anything. Defensively, it is the same guys. The only guys that are new are the rookies. I guess Antonio Johnson and Tyler Lacey are the two you would point to that are the, quote, no. new guys on defense. It is the same guys with no depth. They were not injured last year. They are injured this year, and you see what's happened. I'm not a huge fan of just taking bodies and throwing them outside the building and saying, you're out, you're fired. Uh, but this was a total mess. Bad scouting, bad decision-making. Anton Harrison has been thrown into it. Bad coaching. And you can go back to the Kansas City game. <laughs> How did they not have an extra body on Chris Jones? I mean, you, you took a rookie. You took a rookie. And, and we talked about it leading up to that game. Don't let Kelsey beat you as a tight end like they did in the divisional round of the play. And do something against Chris Jones. He is absolutely magnificent. In this football team, they did it late when it was, when it was too late. So there's been bad coaching. But absolutely, man. Brenton Strange, an F. Tank Bigsby, an F. Fourth-round pick. Ventro Miller, he gets a redshirt year. He's injured. Tyler Lacey, just the guy. Yasir Abdullah, an F. Antonio Johnson and Parker Washington in the fifth and sixth round have come on to do some things a little bit as of late. And then you've got nothing out of Braswell, Hallett, Cooper Hodges, uh, Raymond Vahasic, and Derek Parrish. It's, it's a failed draft class. Absolutely, it's failed. And look, I'm never going to be confused to be an offensive coordinator or an NFL genius. I'm a guy that's lucky enough to have a microphone in front of me that gets to convey my thoughts to the good men and women of Jacksonville, Florida. But what I will say is this on Sunday, Elijah Cooks was doing something. You targeted him three times. He had three catches, was doing a little something. After his third catch, they did not throw him the yeah. ball again. Yeah. And on, you know, they're, they're moving the ball down inside the Buccaneer 30. Things are going great. You run a reverse to Calvin Ridley, <laughs> which you lose 12 yards, uh -huh. completely killing the drive. Your offensive line can't block anybody. You know what they need to do with the reverse to Calvin Ridley? Because they've run that a lot this year. They need to crumple it up and either take it in the bathroom to replace the Charmin with or just throw it in the fireplace. I am so sick and tired of a reverse to Calvin Ridley. It never works. Yeah. Never. And that completely killed that drive on Sunday. All right, let's head to this break. R real quick, though, you had another injury update on on what? Zay Jones? Uh, now, what? Zay Jones is expected to be back on the practice field tomorrow, according to Doug Peterson. Uh, we'll see what that means for the game on Sunday. But potentially, the key word here is potentially Cam Robinson and Zay Jones potentially back Sunday, which, as you brought up, what is that, about 40 mil? worth of yeah. offensive players coming back into the lineup. Couldn't hurt, right? Couldn't hurt what happened in Tampa. Could only help their cause. 40 mil may be playing their last game ever uh, at the bank. I, I think they win and think they host the playoff game, but I can't see either one of those two returning for the 2024 Jaguars. Uh, Jacksonville favored somewhere in the neighborhood of six to six and a half points against Carolina, who rolls in with a rookie quarterback, and they are the worst team right now in the NFL. All right, when we come back, uh, let's grab some more calls, 641-1010. Also, you can get us on uh, the text line, same number, 641-1010, brought to you by Lifetime Enclosures.
All right, Rick Bagu, Hacker Nation. We're typically with you. I am 6 to 8. Hacker Nation at 8. Uh, this week, we're in noon to 3. Today, tomorrow, Thursday, Friday. Where did the professional drinkers meet at 3 o'clock? Do we know? <laughs> well, there's I mean, a lot of establishments. I know a lot of people assume that I'm always uh, boozing. And truth be known, that's that's not the case. I get done at 8 o'clock, and by the time I get home, it's 8.30, and there's a game on, and what have you, every once in a while, you know, three fingers worth of, uh, of Tom Mordew, but I'm, I'm not a big drinker during the, the case of the week, uh, you know, throughout the, uh, the weeks. Um, I feel like with everything that's going on for me, with the Jaguars and with Florida State, I absolutely need to go to a happy hour at 3 o'clock. Yeah, I could see that. You've had a rough patch here. And now what, Rodemaker's in the portal, so he's not even playing, so it's Brock Glenn, I guess, from the Orange Bowl. What a jackass move by a guy that I was going to label as a Florida State legend. 2-0 lifetime. Beat the Gators. Yeah, did. And you announce on Christmas Day, you announce four days before the game? You know what that sounds like to me? He got information from others that sound a little bit like this. Bro, opt out. You are going to get your ass kicked by Georgia. And it's going to devalue you and your look by going to another school. So pull out now, enter the portal, do not go up against that Georgia defense. Gator fans will see your Tate Rodemaker, and they will raise you a Trevor Etienne who leaves the Titanic and now is swimming to the refuge of Kirby Smart and the University of Georgia. And I got to tell you, Rick, in the history of the transfer portal – not a long history yet, but a couple of years, certainly. Has there ever been a bigger middle finger? And I don't think that's the way ETN made it, but I think that's the way Gator fans are taking it. To leave Florida, yeah, the caliber of player that Trevor ETN was, and of all places you're going to go, you're going to go to the Georgia Bulldogs? Whew. Yeah. That, to me, is the biggest one that we've seen in the portal so far in college football. And Colby Young did the same thing. Colby Young you know, had a a really nice season um, for, you know, the University of Miami. Uh, he ended up leaving as well. It was a Colby Young or, or it, it was Colby Young, the 6'5 junior. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I, I thought it might have been uh, Jacoby George who had that huge game against Florida State, but I believe it's Colby Young who ended up leaving. So, yeah, uh, Georgia just adding uh, offensive weapons, both there at running back and wide receiver. Going to be an interesting week with these games coming up. All right, let's let's get back to a couple of these phone calls. Six four one ten ten. Let's go to Jay, who is next up. Hey, hi Jay. Hello. Go ahead, sir. Hey, what's going on, guys? Jay, how are you, man? Hey, um, you know the Jaguars are seven and one when Cam Robinson's playing, and um, you know two years ago we were the worst team in the league. So, a little patience, and we're going to be fine in a couple of years. Not going to happen in two years, man. I'll take your comments off the air. Jay, I appreciate that, but Rick, that is something fans do not want to hear because 22 days ago, the Jaguars were eight and three and legit in the conversation with Baltimore and Miami for the number one seed. And now you have to hope they beat the worst team in football in Carolina to give themselves a chance to get into the playoffs. I mean, this is a collapse of franchise historical proportions if they do not get in. So the one thing Jaguar fans do not want to hear about on December 26th right now is the word patience. Let me tell you about big, big Nick Foles. 
and trials and tribulations. Yeah. 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 That was the biggest disaster that I think any free agent has ever made to this organization because I'm convinced to this day that Nick Foles watched the Jaguars in the AFC Championship game loss to the Patriots, and he didn't do his homework, even though he signed for millions and millions and millions and millions. He figured that Jacksonville was a playoff team year and again and year and again instead of not understanding that at that point they had had nine losing seasons in 10 years, and he told this fan base to go through the trials and tribulations and to be patient. I'll never tell this Jaguar fan base uh, to be patient. They have to make some changes, but as I've said all along, this is not a strong league. It's not a dominant league. If we were to pull our next 10 callers and say, who's going to win the Super Bowl? I think we get, out of 10, I think we get seven or eight different answers. Agreed. Yeah, I think we get Kansas City and San Francisco. I think we get Baltimore. I, I would have said Philadelphia a month ago. Miami. Miami. Um, did I mention Baltimore? If I, I mean, is there a hotter team right now than Buffalo? Is it crazy to think Detroit, Dallas? No, it's not. Dallas can't win on the road. You know, three weeks ago, Denver would have entered the conversation. They had won six in a row. Look at this San Francisco team. They came here losing three in a row. Now, all of a sudden, Jacksonville's lost four in a row. It's, it's a crazy league, and it's also this year especially. It's a league based on attrition. It's a league based on survival week to week, who is healthy, who is not healthy. You want to know what Jaguar fans, you're right about that. Another reason why Jaguar fans don't want to hear about patience, Cleveland loses Nick Chubb and Deshaun Watson. They go get Joe Flacco off the couch. And if he came into the league a month prior, he might be in the MVP conversation right now. He's been insane. Jake Browning, other than this past week, has kept Cincinnati in playoff contention. In the AFC South, love him or hate him, Big Chew, right, Gardner, has the same record with the Colts that the Jaguars have. And C.J. Stroud, a rookie in Houston, is on the verge of winning a division with the same record as the Jaguars have. So, Jaguar fans... I hear you about, you know, when you say the times are going to be good and it's not going to turn around in two years, but no one listening to my voice right now thought on December 26th the Jaguars would be tied with Gardner Minshew and C.J. Stroud for the division lead. I tweeted out when Minshew was playing over the weekend that on one play it was the best I have ever seen him in the pocket. He made a phenomenal play. And as soon as that Twitter hit the air, he got sacked like two out of the next five plays and looked absolutely classic Gardner Minshew. He has had a pretty good year, um, but, you know, we'll, we'll see what ends up happening. Let's grab another call here. Be- before we do, if you cut Cam Robinson prior to June 1st, you're going to have a dead cap figure of 3888000 Okay? For those of you who do not know, all that really means is that it goes up against your your overall salary cap figure, uh, which I think next year is going to be around $240 million. Saw that leak a, a couple of weeks ago. You bring back $17,750,000. Here's what you have to remember with Cam Robinson. I thought even they were 6-2. and two. Our last caller said 7-1. and one. Anyway, they've had a winning record with Cam Robinson. I don't think he's going to get popped again for PEDs. He's an average left tackle. Are you going to bring him back at $22 million a year Because I think now what you really have to analyze is his health. There's been three seasons where he has gone down. He went down. We all remember the ankle. 
or was it the was it the ankle or the knee? Uh, uh, that, that cost him the year. It oh, was, it was his knee. It was the knee. Yeah. He goes down last year and he goes down this year. So my logic says you can't trust him year to year now because there are certain guys in this league who just cannot stay healthy. And I'm beginning to put Cam I have already put Cam Robinson in that category. Yeah, he's in year seven right now. We'll be into year eight next year. But at this point, it's fairly obvious that you have to dedicate most of your resources this offseason to the offensive line. Yeah. The Jaguars can have Christian Kirk and Zay Jones and mm -hmm. ETN and Ingram, and that's all great and wonderful, and Calvin Ridley. Jaguar offense cannot do anything without the offensive line. I think we've mm -hmm. learned that right now. That's been established. So is Cam Robinson the best option for you at left tackle? And if you deem he is the best option for you at left tackle, you might have to bite the bullet on that yeah. one and keep him. Some people are going to get aggravated at me because you can never guarantee if someone's going to be healthy or not. I, I disagree with that. Uh, to me, this is a guy that is not going to be able to go out there and play an entire season. He's, he's proven it as of late. Is Walker Little proving that he can't stay healthy? I think that's a problem, too. Walker Little's allowed 13 pressures in the last two weeks. And he's got an ACL in college. He missed time this year, obviously. Now, he's younger than Cam. Doesn't have the injuries yet yeah. that Cam does, but he's starting to trend down that road. There's a hamstring, a knee, an ACL in college. You could make that argument, I think, for Little as well. Gary is next up. Welcome. Hey guys, hey guys, happy New Year to y'all. Same, too, buddy. Gary. Thank you. I, I I blame a lot of the coaches, Jeff. I'll give you guys three reasons why. Uh, football is a game of passion. I don't see a lot of fire guys flying around playing like their hair's on fire. That's number one. Number two is slow starts. Every game, it seems like they get up to a slow start. They're down ten nothing, thirteen nothing, fourteen nothing before you. You can almost sit down. And number three. I believe it's got to be scheming too with the offensive line because, as a Dolphin fan, the only team that's had more uh, offensive line combinations in the NFL this year has been the Jets. And in Miami Dolphins say a Dallas Cowboy team and gave up one sack with backup linemen. So uh, I, I put a lot in the coaches, Devin. I'd like to hear your comments, guys. All right. Thank you, Gary. Um, why don't we carry a lot of that over to begin our next hour up here against it? It's, uh, it's almost 2 o'clock. I. Um, that's that's this game. Look at Baltimore. They lost one of the best tight ends in the game. They lost their leading rusher in Dobbins. Even that kid who was in against Jacksonville last week, that the Mitchell, young yeah. the young undrafted free agent looked absolutely dynamic. It looked like Minnie Mac Heron going back to old school New England Patriot fans. Who who's the old Auburn guy? Lionel James. I mean, looked like Lionel James. He and he's down. Being able to have some depth and, you know, continuously roll when you have injuries is is something that every team has to do, and the Jaguars have really struggled with that. Well, let's come back and talk about that, though, as far as – because you brought up a real stickler for me. That's getting out to leads early in games, and Jacksonville did that during their winning streak. All right, let's get ready for our final hour. He's Hacker Nation. I'm Rick Ballou. Dylan Denmark producing it. We're with you today till 3 o'clock, then it's prime time. Two o'clock hour upon us, 1010XL, 92.5 FM. Baloo and Hacker in with you all week, noon to three. Prime time will be in three to six as we close out the year here on 1010XL. Jaguars and the Panthers Sunday at one o'clock. Fan appreciation. 
day down at the stadium, the uh, regular season home finale. And Rick, I think you are in agreement. The fans, yeah, you can appreciate them, but they would appreciate a W. Two and five are the Jaguars at Everbank Stadium this year. And in three of those games, Baltimore, San Francisco, and Houston, it's been downright embarrassing. Yeah, it really has, and it's tough to figure out. I mean, maybe outside of hockey, the home field, whether it's baseball, then again, let's go back to that Houston-Texas American League Championship Series where the road team won each and every one of those seven games. I mean, we're just talking off air a little bit of hockey. Look at what happened last year with the Florida Panthers winning game games. Uh, I think it was games uh, – Three, five, and seven. If I if, if I got that right, in the Boston Garden. Yeah. So things are getting kind of crazy as of late, where the home field advantage apparently doesn't mean as much as it once did. Still, I can't think of anyone that would rather play a playoff game on the road as opposed to playing a playoff game at home. I I think Jacksonville takes care of business uh, this weekend. Goes to three and five at home and. You know, we'll see what happens with both Indianapolis uh, and Houston, but I, I feel confident that they're going to be able to break this four-game losing streak. I told you this. Uh, I was listening to Kansas City Sports Radio earlier today. I like to kind of get a feel of what's going on around the city as I, or around the country as I head in. As bad as we think things are here, they are full-blown panic in yep. Kansas City, and it's interesting the parallels between the Chiefs and the Jaguars. Two teams that a lot was expected. Mm-hmm. Two teams that have been awful at home. Kansas City's lost four times yeah. at Arrowhead this year. And two teams, if they make the playoffs, are absolutely backing their way in. Yeah, no doubt about it for Kansas City. Hey, our last caller, uh, one of the things he asked about was first half points. It's always been a big um, scenario for me. And if if you look at this team, you know, what they did this year early on or certainly throughout that win streak was totally different from what they had done in years past. I want to say at one point they had it up to almost 13 points a game. They, in a few of these situations, had double-digit leads at halftime, which you can go back year after year after year. That never happens with this organization. Right now they're at 9.7 points in the first half. That means you're taking the field to begin quarter number three and you're averaging less than 10 points. So that's what you're saying to your your football team. In the last three games, in the first half, they scored seven points against Cleveland in the first 30 minutes. Nothing against Baltimore. Nothing against Tampa Bay. You average that out, their last three games combined, they were averaging 2.3 points. Yeah, it's not good. Now, to that point, are you more concerned with the players performing or with the coaches getting them ready and calling games on game day? I, I, I think the play calling has been really bad as of late. It, it's very predictable. It, it feels like every first down is a run. Okay? <laughs> it, yeah. It, I mean, it really does. It, it, now, they changed that a little bit in the second half when they were down, you know, 26 nothing or whatever the heck it was, 30 nothing. But it, it just feels like and it, it, it almost is like, hey, listen, they say we don't run. We know we don't run. Let's fool them. Let's run. It's not working. It, outside of maybe, I think it was Baltimore. Was it Baltimore or Cleveland? Like, the first four carries, ETN had like 27 yards. He got off to a good start against Baltimore. Yeah, and it was like, wow, what's going on here? Yeah. And then that was it. They made one adjustment, and they, they could not run the rest of the way. So, I, 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 I think it's more of play calling 
than it is actually making plays. But I also think that, you know, this coaching staff understands that they just don't have the, the talent right now. They don't have the personnel. They can't run the football. Well, it's coaching malpractice to have 57 offensive snaps and to get ETN the ball nine times. I understand they can't run the ball, but you got to figure out something. Toss sweeps, counters. I don't care what you do. Calvin Wrigley sweeps. Well, yeah, yeah, you you say that, but right. I'd much rather have ETN in that situation Mm -hmm. than Ridley. ETN's accustomed to that sort of thing. It is coaching malpractice to give Travis ETN six carries out of the backfield when he's healthy. Travis Etienne had six carries for 12 yards. Ridiculous. Ridiculous. Ernest Johnson had one carry for two yards. Yeah. Okay. Not good. Uh, you look at Travis Etienne, who I still think can score from anywhere on the football field. He has 15 more carries this year than he had a year ago. Last year, he had 220 carries for 1,125 yards. He averaged 5.1 per. This year, 235 for 849. Bro, he's averaging 3.6 a carry. 3.6. Did you make anything into that social media thing? Was that Who was that? Was that his mom or one of the members of his family asking for an offensive line or something here in Jacksonville? I, I missed that one. But, but I, Obviously, it's been an interesting week for the ETN family with, ET, with Trevor transferring to Georgia. Uh, but look, Travis ETN, to his credit, and I brought this up on the fifth quarter, to his credit, he could be very vocal right now. He's not getting the ball, and when he does get the ball, he's getting hit three yards in the backfield because the offensive line's not blocking. And to Travis Etienne's credit, he has not called out any of his teammates, has not called out any of the game plan. He has been the ultimate team guy. And a lot of guys in his position right now would not be the ultimate team guy. No, and you know we say he's not getting the ball. He got the ball a lot early on. If you look at overall carries this year, Travis Etienne is fourth in the NFL. All right? You got Christian McCaffrey, Derrick Henry, uh, Rashad White, and Travis Etienne. But, you know, and and I get it. The more carries you get, the less your average is going to go down. I think we all understand that. And there were some times earlier in the year, I don't know if you remember this or our listeners remember this, but it was so obvious that Jacksonville had big leads that they were just running clock, that, that teams knew at that point, particularly in the fourth quarter, that Jacksonville was going to run the football and take more clock. Therefore, they were able to stone him at the line of scrimmage. He did lose some significant yardage there, um, but still, an average of 3.6. And, you know, for what it's worth, if you look at the top rushers in the game, outside of Christian McCaffrey, you look at leading uh, – you know, as far as attempts go in this league, two through six, Henry White, ETN, Jacobson, Mixon, average per three nine, three six, three six, three five, three nine. So the NFL says to us the more you get the ball, the less your average per carry is going to go down. Yeah, look, and, and it's right. You know, it's interesting. You do mention that we were screaming, he's got to have help, he's got to have help. Well, they're just not giving the ball to Bigsby, as we've talked about. That's a wasted third-round pick. I don't know why you don't give the ball to Dearness Johnson anymore. They're they're proving they're not doing that. So now we're saying you don't give the ball to him enough. It needs to be somewhere in the middle, and unfortunately it hasn't been in the middle the entire year. It's either over-usage or not using him enough. Well, let's grab, uh, let's grab another call here. Uh, this is where I believe problems will begin. The ego of Trent Baalke. We're drafting Tank Bigsby in the third round. He's had two gar- two carries in the last six games. Two carries in the last five games. 
Six snaps in the last five games. This is my belief. I don't know this. It's my belief. Trent Bulky's in the box with steam coming out of his nostrils and ears saying, play my third down, play my third round back. You're way out of the, and they're running ETN, where Peterson is still trying to find a way to pull a rabbit out of the hat and win the game. This is where problems begin in a franchise because the ego of Chad Muma in the third round, the ego of Luke Fortner, the ego of Tank Bigsby and Brenton Strange, they're either playing and they suck or they're not playing at all. And I think that's where division comes. I'm getting him the players. He's not using them. You're giving me these players, the other side, you're giving me these players and they do not produce. This is where Trent Pokey did not want Doug Peterson. People forget how much of a clown show this organization was. They brought in Jim Caldwell and Doug Peterson. They let five and a half weeks go by until they brought him back and signed him. Oh, we want Matt Eberflus. Byron. Oh, we want By- They screwed up that entire process. Yeah, yeah. Five and a half weeks. If, if you're going to tell me that Doug Peterson was Trent Bulky's guy, you're a liar. He was not Trent Bulky's guy. So when things like this happen, that's when division occurs. And Trump, Bulky has a reputation as a guy that will stick a knife in the back. So if they keep losing, all hell could break loose. Now, the conversation, and this goes to what you were saying, this has changed a little bit. I like Trayvon Walker, and he's playing better. But there is a portion of the fan base that believes, and I think it's an interesting argument, that the reason they did not, they being Trent Bulky, did not want to go out and bring in a Leonard Floyd or a Jadavian Clowney or any of these guys ego, because he drafted Trayvon Walker ego. number one. And if you bring in one of those guys, does that say to your fan base that, yeah, maybe I did not make the right pick with Trayvon Walker? Do you buy anything into that? Absolutely I do. There's no question I do. They know things we don't. This is their gig. They laugh at the mock drafts. If they turn us on, if Trent Bokey turns us on, he laughs. We don't know anything, right? I know this. He didn't want Doug Peterson. He has Doug Peterson. And, and don't tell me he went through his due diligence. It doesn't take five and a half weeks to find out who your head coach is. They had him in here immediately and let him go. Do you remember that pursuit? A month went by. We heard all of these different names. He was the first guy they interviewed and the last guy they interviewed. It just took 35 days in the middle. All right, let's, let's get caught up on breaks. Uh, Adam, we're going to begin with you. Uh, let's see. Others on the line here have been holding. Garrett, Dean, Dominic, we, we certainly want to get to you. We know that you're frustrated. I, I'm telling you, there's going to be a light here at the end of the tunnel. They are going to win on Sunday. They are going to host the playoff game here. Uh, but to me, it's going to be an incredible offseason. All the decisions that this football team needs to make. Real quick, I want to tell you about Patriot Roofing Services right here in Jacksonville, whether it's commercial or residential. All right. Roofing repairs or a brand new roof, gutters, sun tubes, skylights, 10 year workmanship warranty. Give my buddy Mark Tozzolo a call. He went to Tampa on Christmas Eve. He's a Jag fan. He went with his bride, uh, took in that massacre. He's back here now in Duval, getting ready for the game coming up 
on Sunday. Military and senior citizen discounts, no subcontractors. That's the best part of it. Everything is straight there with Mark Tazzolo. So give him a call, 982-4052, licensed and insured. Or better yet, just check him out online. Go to Patriot Roofing Services. When we come back, your phone calls and as well on the text line, 641-1010, brought to you by Lifetime Enclosures. All right, let's get to your callers. We've got a prize coming up in a little bit, too, I tell you, but that wouldn't be much of a radio tease, would it? Adam is first up. He's with Hacker Nation and Rick Ballew. Welcome. Thank you, fellas. You know, I had low expectations this past weekend just because Trevor was out without so many weapons. The line's been playing so poor, and Tampa was kind of rolling. It's fed up for, for what we saw, in my opinion. But, Hacker, you're talking about having to put all of our resources towards the offensive line this offseason. Uh, and you touched on it right before going to break, you know, add both lines to that, man. You're going to have to put them to the defensive line and the offensive line, every ounce of it. And, Rick, you can add to your report card Trayvon Walker, like you were talking about, man. I mean, I know the guy's got eight sacks, but it's the quietest eight sacks of ever. And the guy's Houdini. His ability to disappear is absurd, you know. So, I, I mean, yeah, on his report card for me, it'd be like a D plus. I mean, he's still below below a passing grade you know, in my opinion. And, you know, the defense is a mess. I mean, really, outside of the last two games, the two before that in the streak, they scored enough points to win football games. And they should have won those games if we can get a single stop. So, you know, the thing's a mess on both sides of the line. And what a, what a difference in feeling with that than heading into the season. But you're right with Balky. You know, the absolute refusal to add anything worth, you know, for a pass rusher, anything on that D-line in the offseason other than bringing back an injured smoot you know, and, and doing nothing to say we've got to, ha- we've got to get after the quarterback to be able to win in January is absurd. It's stupid that they did that. So that's my comments, boys. I'll take it off air. As always, Rick, go Red Wings, baby. <laughs> One of the original six. I was showing Taylor Dollar earlier, who's a Blackhawks fan. I got my uh, original six mug with ah, me today. I like that. That's very isn't that, nice. Isn't that kind of cool? So I'm usually getting up right around now. So I had to get some early coffee in. I totally understand that. Yeah, the, the Trayvon Walker thing, look, D-plus I think is a little harsh. Is he the number one pick worthy highlight reel guy that we would like? No, probably not. But it is clear that Trayvon Walker has improved. And I think that's all you could ask for. He got a lot of grief last year, particularly with what Aiden Hutchinson was doing. But again, again, maybe I'm too much of a numbers guy, Rick. That's certainly you know plausible. You look at the numbers, Hutchinson versus Walker, sacks, tackles for loss, things along those lines, very, very comparable between the two. Yeah, it, they are, and, and, you know, I just wonder what it could be like if there was another man. I mean, I the amount of airtime that I wasted this past year talking about, are they going to move Trayvon Walker inside the way they used to do with Calvin, you know, with uh, Calais Campbell on pass rush situations where you had Allen – and you had uh, unique, you know, they're going to, well, that we didn't see that, you know, it, it never really came into uh, to play. Uh, let's grab another call here as we do. Let me see what he did yesterday or, or make that Sunday. Trayvon Walker, not a decent, not a bad grade. 61.9 is uh, what he ended up having. The problem with him is he's always going to be looked at as the number one guy. I, I had that same conversation with Blake Bortles. Blake Bortles never should have been the third pick in the draft. He was graded as the number three player in the draft. Trayvon Walker never should have been the first player in the draft. Uh, 
the guy didn't come close to making first, second, or third team All-SEC. Mm-hmm. Okay? He's the top pick in the draft. He has doubled his sacks. <clears throat> and, again, sacks are an objective number. Right. That's what everybody looks at. You want to talk about against the run, tackles right. for loss. Those are important, too. But as we learned back in the day with Derek Harvey, when you draft a guy in the top 10, yeah. they need to be better than just against the run. Mm-hmm. And Trayvon Walker, even though he's good against the run, has not gotten to the quarterback near what a number one pick in the draft should. Remember when Jack Del Rio just lost it? He was like, listen, I forget who we compared him to. He's like, this isn't uh, – what was the Allen guy's name for Minnesota? Jared Allen. I don't know if it was Jared Allen he went to or or Mike, Michael Strahan. He, it was someone. He's like – he used every adjective imaginable. Yeah, he's like, Derek well, Harvey's a good, physical, tough – in a run-stuffing defensive It lineman. was almost Rick Pitino in Boston saying, Larry Bird's not walking through that door. He was like, listen, you're expecting this out of Derek Harvey, and it's not going to happen. No. Yeah. No. Let's go to Garrett, who is next up. Welcome. Boys, I'm going to make this quick. Boo-ball! Mm. All right, Garrett, appreciate that. like to have a little bit of what he's drinking. I don't think there's any doubt about that. All Dean right. is next up. Yeah, Dean. Good afternoon. Just like to make a uh, point after watching that NF performance Sunday in Tampa. Uh, just Sunday night when uh, Denver and uh, New England, New England play, had nothing to play for, and they, they definitely had a lot more uh, energy than the Jags ever could put on on Sunday. And then that game uh, with the Raiders taking it to Kansas City. I just think you just did a great job of articulating about the uh, culture between Balky and. Uh, Doug Peterson, though, and that's what that's one of the problems here in Jacksonville. has been a problem, though, with the GM not being able to procure the talent that the coach needs to, to win on a regular basis. Dean's a great call. Appreciate the call. And, and to his point, the New England Patriots, maybe they're playing for Belichick's job, but they go in. It's freezing in Denver. Denver's got everything to play for, all the momentum in the world in the fourth quarter, and New England drives down there and kicks a game-winning 56-yard field goal. The Raiders go into Arrowhead. Still a very unlikely chance of making the playoffs. Go into Arrowhead yesterday and physically whip the Kansas City Chiefs. Again, how much did they really have to play for? Jacksonville, with everything to play for on Sunday, came out and looked uninterested, unenthused, disinterested, whatever you want to call it. That, to me, and that's why I think the question was fair today to Doug Peterson, is there a message problem with what you're saying to the players because the same things are happening week after week after week. Yeah, it it, um, it becomes very repetitive. Uh, the regime before this was Doug Marone. And no matter what happened, it was Doug Marone's fault. Hey, Doug, it rained on the field today. Yeah, that's my fault. Hey, Doug, your players got arrested in London. They were out in a strip club way after curfew. Yeah, that's my fault. Hey, Doug, you have a big injury here now in your offensive line with a torn ACL. Yeah, that's my fault. Uh, Doug, you had 12 penalties in that game. It, was, it, it became it, – it fell on deaf ears. It, taking responsibility is, is great and it's noble. But when you do it time and again and time and again, it becomes expected. And it has no bearing. It, it means next to nothing. And the only thing I appreciate with Peterson is he's trying to stay positive. And I don't know if that is – only to the media, and behind the scenes, he's different. But it is consistent, and I like it. Um, I think others 
Jack Del Rio, Tom Coughlin would have thrown this team under the bus right now. Uh, Doug Marone never would, as I just pointed out. Gus Bradley was in over his head. He, he never should have been a head coach, at least with the talent that this team had. So that is a little bit alarming to me. Rich Eisen's call uh, was one of the worst calls I've ever heard. The man was openly rooting for Denver. It was weird, right? They need it. Got to have it. Got to have it, Denver. Yeah. I mean, it was just like, Rich, you're a pretty decent talk show host. You're a pretty decent analyst. You shouldn't be doing play-by-play. There's, there's way too many talented human beings on this planet who deserve that opportunity. It was a terrible call by Rich Eisen. Doug Peterson has not called out his team. Trevor Lawrence, I think, did in his postgame presser, saying it doesn't even look like we practice. To me, that's what I go back to the clout. Does Trevor Lawrence, when you see Mahomes ripping into his O-line yesterday, we haven't seen Trevor do that necessarily on the field. But when you step in front of a microphone, and you know everybody's staring at you after that performance, and you say something to the tune of, it doesn't look like we practice, is that not Trevor calling out some of his guys? It is, and and I think one of the most underplayed stories with this offense this year and this football team is his changing the call at the line of scrimmage. Oh, okay. They do it every time. I, I, I've received a couple of reports here where I don't know if it's true or not, so I'm not going to go with it. But during these interceptions, Trevor, you know, again, I, I don't want to throw it out until I know for sure, but this is something we've talked about previously in the year. Um, the Parker Washington play, that route that led to his injury, was that a play call change at the line of scrimmage that a rookie in Parker Washington didn't get and didn't understand in that short period of time? I still want to make excuses for anyone. These are, this is their full-time job. They have to be prepared. They have to be ready. If you make a mistake like that week one, week two, maybe. Remember last year, Walker made some foolish pass, uh, personal fouls, yeah. hitting quarter. I, yeah. But when you get in the week 14, 15, I mean, you're no longer a rookie. Now, you've fallen asleep in meetings. You're not paying attention. But I, I, I think that that is a, a major part of all this that I, I really want to learn more about. And I don't know if we'll ever get the correct answer. But how much is he changing calls at the line of scrimmage? And, again, I don't know how the intricacies work. I mean, I've watched a lot of football in my day. But, again, I don't know what what he does at the line of scrimmage. It looks like he's audibling. He's killing a lot of plays at the line. And I think you got to know your team. There is no Christian Kirk out there. There is no Zay Jones out there. you got an undrafted rookie in Elijah Cooks. you got a sixth-round rookie in Parker Washington. you got Tim Jones that very rarely plays. Is it the smartest thing to do? to be changing everything you're doing at the line with so much inexperience out there at the wide receiver spot. Let's grab one more. And then, uh, again, we have a prize coming up on the other side. Dominic, our last caller. Thank you. How you doing, Rick and Hack? I'm a big co-fan, and I'm going to be honest with y'all. I think Jaguar fans are overacting. Y'all going to win a division. The Colts and uh, Houston, we're in rebuilding mood, even though it's embarrassing for some of the Jaguar fans because y'all had high expectations. But I still think y'all going to win on Sunday, and I still think y'all going to win a division. And if y'all can get healthy, I think y'all got a chance if y'all get in the playoffs. I don't know why all the Jaguar players are, are crying, uh, this and that. All you want to do is just get in the playoffs, and anything can happen, just like last year. And I'll take my call, my, my, my comments off. All right, Dominic. Thank you so much. I, I, I don't want to go with the word crying. 
Crying is sad. I don't sense sadness. Oh, I sense anger. Exactly. Yeah. There's a huge difference. I wish I could get sad. It's it's an emotion uh, that I don't have. I, I go from being unhappy to angry. That's my life. <laughs> and it, it, it's a lot of fun. Sad? What's sad? Okay, sad is watching Bambi's mother get shot and killed mm. when you got your youngster with you. Or, you know, then they get older and you're taking to see old Yeller. Or, 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 or sad is when uh, Robert Shaw gets sliced in half by Jaws. That's sad. Sad is on a football game. That's anger. It was anger for me because I had to come in and do the fifth quarter on Christmas Eve, which I love. Don't get me wrong. Wouldn't trade my job for anything. But if you're going to bring me in here to do the fifth quarter, at least put forth an effort like you give a damn. And it did not look like the Jaguars cared very much on Sunday. So mine was definitely anger on Sunday in Tampa. We got a guy light me up the 69-11-11. They want to know, you know why I'm on the Jags payroll, why I'm told here by uh, this radio station that I have to say great things about the Jaguars, why I continuously state that this team is going to make it to the playoffs. Well, you are correct. Before I went on the air today, I heard from four higher-ups with the Jaguars and my boss here. It sounded a little bit like this. Baloo, say only great things today about the Jacksonville Jaguars. So congratulations, 69-11. You absolutely got it correct. Let's bring in Dylan Denmark. How we doing? How are you doing? How's your golf game for crying out loud? It's all right. It's getting, it's getting better. It's been a long last time. time I played with it you. Denmark. So you're taking money away from me. Yeah. <laughs> Can we bring something up real quick? No. The fact that I had Amari Cooper on my bench in the 1010XL Fantasy Playoffs. What? On my bench, Rick. He's uncoverable. And I still beat Denmark by 40. How's your weekend the guy going, I had Dylan? 250 yards. I had 51 points that I didn't get because I was stupid enough not to play him. And I still beat Denmark by 40. Yeah, fantasy is all stupid luck. It, it is stupid what it is. Luck. Yeah, all it is. Well. Anyway, I got a family four pack to see the Tax Slayer Gator Bowl. Clemson's playing in Kentucky, if y'all don't know, Friday down at the bank. Also comes with tickets to the touchdown party before the game at 10 a.m. So if you want those tickets, it's four of them. Call me up at 641-1010. That is an ACC-SEC matchup. Bragging rights. I'll tell you this. Line. Luke Fortner and Josh Allen. Both seen at Kentucky practice today, motivating the guys okay. for Friday's matchup. Uh, so you got that against Trevor and Travis, and don't forget, Tyler. That's right, Tyler Shally. That's the right. longest tenured um, Jacksonville Jaguar. You get to talk with Dylan Denmark, the number is 641-1010. All right, we'll come back, and uh, we'll get you set for prime time. Yeah, we've made a schedule change uh, this week. All right, Hacker and Baloo, the rest of the week, 12 to 3. You will get 1010XL prime time from 3 to 6, and they are on deck. Three finger Ted. Good Christmas, any good gifts? Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, it's all about the young man now, so as well, long yeah. as he's happy. But yeah, uh, no doubt. Yeah, no, we uh, we're going to Kenny Chesney in Tampa in, in April, so that'll be fun. And then a Kenny Chesney concert here. Yeah, uh, my wife loves it. She's part of a uh, No Shoes get, Nation. The girls get all done up for that. The boots, the hats. Oh, they do. The, the Daisy Dukes. There's no doubt. And um, have you ever experienced a bidet, Rick? Is that food? <laughs> That's not food. No. That's about the exact opposite of food. No. It is uh, a thing that you install on your commode 
that is popular in the European and uh, Asian countries. No. To, uh, you know, fulfill your request when you're going to the bathroom. Well, uh, I got one for me because I had had one at an Airbnb about two years ago. And I thought it was the most sensational thing I'd ever experienced in my life. And as a joke, I told my wife, you know, I wouldn't mind having one of these at my house one day. And sure enough, she got me a bidet. Uh, so I can't really explain to you what it does. You can look it up, and then I can explain in more detail. But hmm. just know that it's very, very gratifying and two very big thumbs up. All right. I, I got a lot of great – I got 14 books. You know, I'm a huge reader. And uh, the one I'm reading right now is is just incredible. It's called uh, Charles Manson in His Own Words. <laughs> Yeah, that's, that does sound like a good... It sounds like something I would probably enjoy, actually. And uh, this is kind of a love story. And, and what I'm learning, it's about a 250-page book. I, I guess I'm about 160 or so pages into it. But Manson did nothing wrong, okay? It was all, it, It's kind of like uh, Jose Baez's book on Aaron Hernandez, then James Patterson's book mm. on Aaron Hernandez. You got two totally different stories by listening to Patterson, who covered it from afar... And, of course, Baez, who was his lawyer uh, until he committed suicide. But this book is amazing because all it's really talking about is Manson's sexual history and what he did in prison, what he did in the hate in Asbury, what he's doing now at Spawn Ranch uh, in the desert, 30 miles outside of Hollywood. It's like Charlie, the male porn star, not Charlie, the... Serial killer. Now, so, did he write this in prison? He did. With a, with a guy he served with a couple of times, came out. Everyone was trying to get a piece from Charlie, you know, a, in his own words. Uh, but I, I believe the, the author's name was it, was, it was actually written in 86. Somehow I missed it. I read a bunch of books on Manson. It was called, um, uh, Noah Emmons is the author, but Manson trusted him. Hmm. So he's letting everything out. And I'm thoroughly... Thoroughly enjoying it, so pretty good stuff right now. That that was uh, among all the other great Christmas gifts I did receive. So I'm getting out at three now. I got choices: go to a happy hour, go home, and read. Go read about Charles Manson. That sounds yeah. like a nice Tuesday evening. We'll see what happens. Now today's takeaways brought to you by Key Buick GMC, where our family dealership has been helping families buy vehicles for over fifty years. All right, so uh, the good news is this. I will continuously drive around in my key GMC uh, Sierra, and the GF has her Buick Enclave, both which come from key. Great opportunity to go right now. Before the end of the year, 23 is in the lot, 24 is in the lot. Outstanding savings. Uh, the good folks at key Buick GMC right across the street from Tinseltown, Southside, in Gate. Uh for me, my takeaway today is this. It's, it's a healing process for you, uh, the Jaguar fan, and I expect you to be upset today. I expect you to begin to turn just a little bit tomorrow, midweek on Wednesday. We got good news today, possibly on Cam Robinson and Zay Jones. Also, no bad news today on Trevor Lawrence. So I'm going to stick with what I said since we got on the air three hours ago. I think the Jaguars are going to win this game this weekend against Carolina. Yeah, the funny thing is, in a situation like this, when you lose four in a row, the last two in blowout fashion, you say, well, they couldn't beat anybody in the National Football League. Well, that will be put to the test on Sunday because you have the worst team in the NFL coming in here. Carolina at 2-13 and 13 is the worst team when lost record-wise 
and I, and I said this last night, and I mean it. I don't know who I'm going to pick yet. I'll probably do that on Friday. But the fact that I'm not near as confident as you are, Rick, I'm going back and forth based solely on what I saw on Sunday and how depressing that performance was in Tampa. I'm going back and forth on can the Jaguars win a home game against the worst team in the National Football League is an indictment in and of itself. But the ironic part of it, the NFL now has clinching scenarios out for this week. And the Jaguars obviously clinched the division title with a win and losses by Indianapolis and Houston. Right now, Baltimore would get the number one seed and the bye. You would have a number two Miami hosting a number seven Indianapolis, a number three Kansas City hosting a number six Buffalo. And right here in Jacksonville, even though Cleveland has a two game, uh, you know, is two games above Jacksonville at 10 and five, the Jags at eight and seven. Jags is a five seed, would host the uh, Jags is a four seed, would host a five seed in Cleveland. Other teams that are still in it, this is just amazing. Okay. With two weeks remaining, you got eight and seven Houston, eight and seven Pittsburgh, eight and seven Cincinnati, seven and eight Las Vegas, and seven and eight Denver. The only teams who have been eliminated the Jets, the Titans, the Chargers, and the Patriots. Now, the two-minute drill. Brought to you by Tire Outlet. Keeping 1010XL talking with wholesale prices and premium service. Tire Outlet, Jacksonville's largest locally owned automotive repair shop. All right, feels like I'm in the press box. He always sits one seat over to the right of me on game day, and that'll be the case this Sunday. He is Dave Campbell getting ready for 10-10 primetime. How you doing, Coach? I'm doing uh, good, considering. Yeah? And, and I think the primetime guy sent me to the slaughter today to come in here with you guys. <laughs> good Christmas for you? Yeah, it was great. Other yeah. than other than the ball game, uh, you know, it's a family and friendship, and, and that's, that's what Christmas is all about. I know you were with Hacker uh, after the game for the fifth quarter. Four in, four in a row you've lost, but it's still all in front of you. You win, you're in, you host. What's the number one message now that you say to this football team? Well, I, you know, unfortunately, you don't know exactly, Rick, what's going on behind us in the building to begin yeah. with. You know, my message obviously would be, guys, uh, you know, this is another big ball game, and we have got to have a great week of practice. We've got to make sure we're on the same page because there were a number of situations during the ball game where I felt like when they checked off plays and stuff like that, Two guys, the first interception, two guys were right next to each other. Yeah. So that has to end. And this team has to find a way to make sure, whether it's simplification or whatever, we've got to make sure we're all on the same page and then let the chips fall where they may. Potentially some good news. Cam Robinson, his 21-day window will start tomorrow. Zay Jones will be back on the practice field. If, now it's a big if, but let's play along here. If Cam and Zay are back... What does that do for this offense? Well, I think it helps it, obviously. I think they're both good football players. But again, you know, I, you've heard me a hundred times say my biggest thing is you don't normally play well when you don't practice. And so that's a situation that started back when Trevor got hurt. You know, if you don't practice, the chemistry part of the game is suffers. Now, uh, hopefully they'll be, you know, ready to go and, and, and can fit right in. But I'd make darn sure it was simple for them yeah. going forward with those guys especially. So all that coming up from right now up until 6 o'clock.
Yeah, we're looking forward to it. We're going to do a lot of Jag stuff. We got Denny Thompson coming in. Oh, boy. And they got the great Dave Campo there for this entire segment. Yeah. My goodness, my goodness. Now, they roll out the red carpet when Thompson comes in nowadays with the clients that he has. There's no question. For crying out loud. Dave, always a pleasure. Have a yeah. lot of fun. Same to you, Rick. Dave Campo, Thanks, ladies and gentlemen. All right, that's going to do it for us today. Thank you to Dylan Denmark, Hacker, you and I back here tomorrow and the rest of the week. From noon until 3. Uh, tomorrow, what? Cecil Shorts, the Philly Godfather, among others. Yeah, my buddy Cecil Shorts with me every week on, on uh, Hacker After Dark. We'll have him on here with Blue and Hacker. And I love Cecil's perspective, former wide receiver for the Jacksonville Jaguars, probably about 1.30 tomorrow afternoon. All right, and that's going to do it for us. So, uh, again, we do appreciate it. I, I do not check the text line now that the show is over. Um, if you want to get a hold of us, as always, the best way to do it for me is on Twitter. That is Blue1010XL. How about you? Ryan Green at 1010XL. All right. Coming up right now is uh, primetime, and they will be with you today from 3 until 6 o'clock. So that's going to do it. Folks, enjoy it. Enjoy the weather. Get outside. Have a good time. Enjoy life. There's more important things in sports, more important things than the Jag. I'm not sure what they are, but I'm sure there's a few out there. We do appreciate it. We're back tomorrow, noon to 3, right here on your home of the Jaguars, 1010 on the AM and 92.5 FM.